winter is coming. You're listening to The Watchers of Westeros. I am the king! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. I've also heard the phrase, a Lannister always pays his debt. For the night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love? We can avenge them. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of The Watchers of Westeros. Special for a variety of reasons, which we will get into in just a moment, but uh, not the least of which is that we are discussing The Winds of Winter, not the sixth book in the series, but the finale to the sixth season of Game of Thrones, and what an episode we it was. We got so much to talk about. King's Landing, that could have been an episode in and of itself. The Twins in the north so much going on we'll discuss it plus we're gonna look ahead at next season on all of the incredible things that are in store there uh but first introductions are in order if you are new to the show or you've forgotten who we are that can happen it's happened to me uh my name is dominic and joining me in the studio for the first time it's my good friend and co-host, the award-winning Kieran Duggan. Hello, hello, everybody. This is a quite surreal experience to do the Watchers of Westeros in the studio together, um, and, yeah, I, and, I, and, I, and not in either of ours yeah. basements, really, which is quite yeah. a feat, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually, because yeah, I say joining me in the studio. Really, I'm joining you in the studio because we're <laughs> at the um, Expression FM studios here in lovely Exeter, England. Uh, and Kieran has kindly allowed us in, and we're uh, we're recording at this wonderful setup, and it's and it's the first time we've actually recorded a podcast in person. You know, we've been podcasting for three years now, yeah. starting with the Clone Wars Strikes Back and into Watchers of Westeros. The closest thing was you were at the live show of uh, the Star Wars Underworld at Celebration. You were kind of doing the roving microphone thing in the audience. Yeah, I, um, I was extremely hungry yeah. for that day as well, to be honest. So it wasn't my finest, <laughs> wasn't hour. finest hours. But no, we get to do this in person, which is awesome. You know, I'm, you know it's always, uh, you know, recording the podcast and doing that, it's, it's always fun to talk about the show. It's a great way for us to keep in touch. But it's so nice to actually be able to, like, you know, look at each other. Hopefully it doesn't come to fisticuffs, you know, when we start debating uh, uh, what's going to happen to Littlefinger or, <laughs> or what have you. Yeah, exactly. Now he's got to deal with that in person. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. he may have to think carefully of what he's going to say. Gonna say. <laughs> um, on a serious note, how have you found Exeter so far? You've only been here for a day or so. Day. Yeah, it's a nice place. I've, I've enjoyed it. Very hilly, lots of walking. Uh, but it's it's a lovely place, and and I gotta say, your university campus puts the university campus where I go to school to shame, <laughs> to shame. We walked past, we watched walked past the pub here. I look in there, and it's this like lovely place, and it looks like you could just go there anytime and have a great meal. You walk past the campus bar where I go to school, and it's like this dark, depressing place with, like, <laughs> folding tables out. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to go there. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's a really great place. Um, bef- before we get into the episode, though, I want to I tell you about an experience I had uh, because I've been traveling, obviously. <laughs> I 
Otherwise, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> teleport? Yeah, teleport. Uh, but I've been traveling. Uh, we got Star Wars Celebration London. I hesitate to call it Europe anymore. <laughs> um, uh, coming up later this month. And so in advance of that, I came and did a little bit of traveling. And I was in Ireland for about a week. Um, I went to Skellig Michael, uh, which is where they shot the some of the force awakens and if you want to hear more about that make sure to tune into the star wars underworld this week um and you can read about it starwarsunderworld.com uh but then i went to dublin and from dublin i got on uh, this i went on this game of thrones tour and basically what they did is they you got on a bus in dublin and they drove you up to northern ireland and they took you around to a bunch of locations where they shot game of thrones mostly from season one mostly from season one uh but but little bits of stuff from seasons two and three um so we we saw places like we saw where John and Tyrion had their campfire on the way to the wall. We saw you know the very first scene in Game of Thrones where the Night's Watch guy wills he sees all the wildling bodies all cut up and so we went to that place. It was awesome. Uh, we saw where Brienne and Jamie found those women that had been hanged because they lay with lions and then the Stark Bannerman came up. We went there. We went to the place that inspired the twins. We went to where they shot at Winterfell and that was the, the, what what you really get from visiting where they shot Winterfell which is a place called Castle Ward is how impressive the CGI is <laughs> on the show because really it's one tower and like a wall that's what Winterfell really is and then you go in and there's this courtyard where they they did build some sets back when they shot there in season 1 uh, but they was, a lot of it was enhanced by CGI. And now, of course, Winterfell is a is an actual set that they built somewhere else. So they don't go back to Castle Ward anymore. But that's where they did it in season one. We also saw where they found the direwolves back in the pilot. And apparently this is, you know, you remember during the build up to season six, right? When people were sneaking onto the set and getting pictures of, <laughs> of Kit Harrington, you know, uh, and how there was that was like a big hole in the security. Apparently back in season one, when they were setting up that that opening shot of the dire, well, not opening shot, but that early shot of the dire wolves. Like you, it was, it's right by a bridge and people were just walking by the bridge, taking pictures of them setting up this set because nobody knew what game of Thrones was. I mean, the book readers knew, but they, you know, it was still wasn't, wasn't what it is. And, you know, the only thing that might've been interesting is if Sean Bean had been there because, you know, even back then, Richard Madden, Kit Harrington, these are not names anybody knew. They're just, they're just dudes standing there with the Sean Bean. Um, so that just shows you a bit how things have changed. Uh, and then at the, the last place we went to was, uh, it was a place called Inch Abbey. It's these wonderful ruins and they shot a bunch of stuff, stuff there. One of the things they shot there was when, uh, when Rob and Kat find out that Ned's been killed and Rob is just beating the shit out of that tree with his sword. Uh, but they also shot the scene where the Stark Mannermen declare Rob king in the north. And as part of this tour, they give you, cloaks and swords <laughs> so that at the end of it you will declare somebody in your group king in the north and the way you decide that is with a game of thrones trivia challenge that you do on the bus on the way up and i was this close to being king in the north i came second place and i lost in the tiebreaker so this is so it was me and this other dude who was literally sitting across from me on the bus like we marked each other's papers at the end of it he was a book reader and i host a game of thrones podcast so i think we had the best chances of winning so at least it was one of the the, the two that won but we got we each got eight out of ten and I'll, I'll give you the questions that we got wrong um there the first question that we, this is the question that we both got wrong uh was uh, she listed the, 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 ho the tour guide, lovely woman. Uh, her name was Anne, I believe. 
Uh, she gave, listed off six members of the Faith of the Seven <laughs> and said, who's the seventh? And so, like, can you name all seven members of the Faith just in general? No. No. Like, you know, like, she, and she, it wasn't one of the obvious ones. Like, she went through the father, the mother, the, you know, the maiden, all the ones, all the ones that you, you would think of. Mm. Um, and so the, the, we both guessed the same wrong answer. We guessed the farmer when it was the Smith. Smith. That was the one we missed. And then the question, the second question that he got wrong, uh, was, so everybody knows the name of Daenerys' black dragon, Drogon. Yeah. What is the name of her green dragon? Oh, that is a tough one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Do you know? I can't, I can't actually say that right answer. Yeah. I think I, I don't think I actually have a clue, to be honest. Yeah. But you knew that. Yeah, it's Rhaegon. Like Rhaegon, uh, like Rhaegon. Because, because the, her, 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 yeah, her dragons are Drogon, Rhaegon. Viserion and Viserion, ah, Viserys, yeah, of course, yeah. and he was the White Dragon, and I, um, I was kind of like I wasn't a hundred percent sure. I'll be perfectly honest. I was I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but I thought, okay, she actually knew Viserys, so she would remember his white hair, so she would make him the White Dragon. That's what I. That was my thought process, and that's mm. how I settled on. Okay, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna I'm gonna make an educated guess that the Green Dragon is Rhaegon, and I got that right. He got it wrong. He guessed Viserion. Do you want to know the question I got wrong to lose the, the to, to, to to force the tiebreaker? Go on. What was the bus driver's name? Oh my god! I that know, I know that's so unfair. I, I know that makes me a terrible person because I couldn't remember that his name was Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you can throw that question to me. I've not got a clue. I didn't. I so I I know that makes me a terrible person that that's the one I got wrong. <laughs> like I can't remember that. But it, you know, when it's a Game of Thrones quiz, I got more Game of Thrones questions right than this other guy. I should have been. I I should have seceded. I should have had my own uh made my own claim to King of the North. But then we had a tiebreaker. And the tiebreaker question was, what was, um, what is um, Oathkeeper's sister sword named? Oathbreaker? No. <laughs> no, it's, it's the, the widow, Widow's Whale or something oh. like that. Oh. Yeah. But again, you know, they were both made from Ned Stark's, uh, from, you know, when Tywin melted down. Oh, sword. yeah. And so they, you know, Jamie got the one and Tywin had the other. And, you know. and so I didn't get that right. The other guy... He, kind of got it right i think he was helped by the fact that we were kind of sitting towards the back of the bus and the tour guide was up at the front he's like the widows something and the tour guide's like that's right the, t- the widow as well so i i was not king in the north but the the tour was was really really fun and the other sort of twist to this was you know if you got the most questions right you were king in the north so at the end of the day you were given ned stark's sword you're given ice to, to pose with um and the person who got the least amount of questions right on the tour um, do you want any guesses what sword they were given? Needle? No. They got long claw because they know nothing. Hey, <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one, yeah. They did ha- They did have a, a needle that somebody got, and they had a, an oath keeper. They had some generic swords, and they had the hound's helmet, which I did put on, and I put up a picture. On a, so what sword did you have in your I pictures? just had a generic sword. Oh. Generic sword. I had generic sword number four, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I did get... Come in- Joint first place, that's a yeah, bit harsh. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know that's what happens. It's a cruel game, though. It's a cruel game, game. Yeah, isn't it's, it? It's like, it's like Cersei says: you win or you die. You win. <laughs> well, you at least win you survived. Or, yeah. <laughs> so be glad you, of that. Yeah, the tour should be: you win or you get generic sword number four. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it was a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. You just look up uh, Game of Thrones tours and you'll find it. They have ones that leave from Dublin and they have ones that leave from Belfast, and uh, it's really fun. The other, the other, actually, the other part of it that's really, really cool is when you stop for lunch, you stop at this lovely pub. And the pub makes great fish and chips. They, you get an, you get an option of, do you want the fish or the chicken? Take the fish. The fish is amazing. Um, but at the pub, they have a couple of local guys who were extras on Game of Thrones come around. And one of the guys who was an extra, he is the owner of the dogs who were, uh, Grey Wind and Summer on the show. So you actually got to meet the real dire wolves that were there. Like, you know, they were, they were puppies in season one and now they're big, they're big ass dogs. And so I got a picture with, with the two dogs. I was like, it was amazing. And they were, they were really like, they were really chill. Like they just kind of lay there and stuck their heads up every now and again. And they didn't try and bite your arm. They didn't try try and bite your arm off or anything. But the guy who, you know, the guy who owned them, uh, he was good acting that, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the guy who owned them, he, uh, He's talked about how you know he's trying to be a Dothraki extra in the next season. He had you know he'd grown his hair out and everything. He'd been a wildling the season before, and that was pretty cool. But he talked about how he saw Alfie Allen, who plays Theon, at a bar after season one went out, or at a nightclub or whatever. And uh, you know how Theon he wants to kill the dogs. He wants to kill Summer, I guess. And he's, he's hold up the dog and he's got the knife to its throat, and so. Uh, the, the owner went up to Alfie Allen at the nightclub and says, Hey, you're the guy that tried to kill my dog. <laughs> and Alfie Allen is like, what? What? What are you talking about, dude? He's like, you And he said, you're on Game of Thrones, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Those were, you know, the dire wolves in, season, in, in the first episode? Yeah. Those are my dogs. Like, oh, man, I love those dogs. <laughs> but uh, apparently all, the whole cast loves the, loves the dire wolves. Like, uh, Alfie Allen loved them and Kit Harrington loved them and, and stuff. And I mean, Sophie Turner adopted her. So that was the other thing, right? She, she took Summer home with her. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't think this guy was going to give up. Uh, give up. I think their names, their real names are like Odin and Thor. Like, they, they have like proper, those could be dire wolf names. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they are, yeah, Summer and Grey Wind, and so I have. Uh, I'll, I'll put that picture up on the Watchers of Westeros Facebook page. It's on my personal Instagram now, along with a bunch of other, a bunch of other pics from it. So that's Dominic J twenty five. If you want to follow me there and, and see that, um, and and the other guy that was there, who was actually the the father of the guy who was the owner of the direwolves, he had been a, a Dothraki slaver in season one, and then they had based the look of the giant from season four who charges at the Night's Watch guys in the tunnel, they had based the look of that giant on him. Oh. <laughs> now, he's he's a little tiny dude. Like, he's short, He's a short, short guy. But he had, you look at him, you're like, yeah, that's the giants. You know, you can totally see how they, but he was a, again, he was a really nice guy. He had this scrapbook of, of stuff that he had brought along from, you know, I think he'd been on just about every season. Wow. Uh, and he had this scrapbook of stuff. Like, he had the menu from when they were shooting the Battle of the Bastards and stuff. Like, it was great. It was this really, really cool tour. And so, um, Game of Thrones tours, just a quick Google search and you'll see it. And it's, um, uh, it's really a fun time. I highly, highly recommend it if you're ever in Dublin or Belfast. They have another one that leaves from Belfast that takes you out to where they shot some of the, the Iron Island stuff. Uh, apparently it's too far to go from Dublin. So, you know, next time I, next time I come, a- come across the, um, 
the pond or the, the narrow sea to, to the UK. I'm, I'll make a point to go up to Belfast so I can go on that tour as well because, you know, and the whole time that you're on, you know, they drive you around on a really nice coach bus and, you know, they have they have screens and they're showing game behind the scenes Game of Thrones stuff and they show you the scenes uh, that were shot at these places so that you can get a quick refresher because, like, even I... Like, I was looking on the website, like, hey, where are some of the places that we're going? Because I don't want to just go, oh, yeah, I remember this, and then not have any recollection. So I had, like, looked up a few scenes the night before, uh, just sort of so that I have them fresh in my mind. So that when I saw the location, I'd go, oh, yeah, that's it. Uh, but they carry around an iPad, and, and when you get to the location, you say, okay, this is the scene. And they have all these pictures of from when they were shooting it and, and all this stuff. And when you're on the bus, they show behind-the-scenes stuff. And then when you're driving home, they put on episodes one and two from season one. And so it's a... It's a great, great time. I, I would definitely recommend it. I mean, you're you're around. You find a weekend and go uh, go out to, to Dublin. And <laughs> no, I haven't got much in terms of excuses. Yeah, I live like next door, pretty exactly. much to Northern you got, Ireland. You gotta go. You gotta go. There you go. You sold it to me. Now yeah. I wasn't sure before, but now, <laughs> now, now I am, and and it gives you a good excuse to come back to the UK, like exactly. you say. Yeah, yeah. Go back to go back to, to go up to Belfast. Go around because I, I, you know, we stopped at a place called Tullymore Forest where they shot a whole bunch of stuff um like they shot the direwolves they shot Tyrion and john they shot the wildling uh wildlings being turned into white walkers at the beginning of the show and i would have loved to have just wandered around tollywood forest it's a it's a lovely place actually our friend irish chris from the 501st garrison in ireland he sent me he saw that i posted a picture he was like oh man that's my favorite place and he sent me a picture from a photo shoot they had done in their star wars costumes out there I'm like, dude, I just literally just walked past that place. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's a lovely place. So I would have loved to have just wandered around there a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fantastic. I definitely, definitely recommend it to, to all of our, to you and to all of our listeners who are, who are interested. Yeah. Well, as you say, I think you pretty much sold it to a lot of people who were unsure of whether they want to go to Northern Ireland. And of course, um, a little bit related, but in Northern Ireland, of course, on the outskirts of Skellig Michael. Oh, so yeah. well, that's, well, that's fans. actually that's actually down in uh, County Kerry. That's in actual Ireland. Okay. Yeah, that's in actual Ireland. So it, it, it's it's a bit of a yeah. The tours leave from Belfast and Dublin. So if you're going out to Skellig Michael, you'll have to go. I don't know where whether it'd be quicker to go to. It, it was it wasn't that long to go Dublin to County Kerry. Where Skelly is, so I, I, that's probably closer than going from Belfast. But something to keep in mind. Something though. to keep in mind. Yeah. If you want more reasons to go oh, yeah. to well, I mean, Northern Ireland. <laughs> once once episode eight comes out, I'm sure I'm gonna have to come back and go around all the different places <laughs> that they shot. <laughs> go to Cork and go to um, Shansaville and all those places uh, where they shot <laughs> more of Force Awakens, more of that same what we think is that same planet. Yeah, no spoilers. No spoilers. No, spoilers. no, no Star Wars spoilers on the Game of Thrones podcast. Yeah. Uh, but if you're interested in Game of Thrones spoilers, well, not for season seven, but for the season six finale, let's talk about it. Let's get into yeah. let's get into the episode proper, and let's just start. Let's just start at the beginning with King's Landing, and I mean, talk about juxtaposition to last week, because last week. We had this massive visceral battle, this huge war where it was dirty and, and everybody crashing around and, and really, really intense. And then we open on these shots of people getting dressed and going to church, basically going to court, court church, court slash church. And, it, it, and you have that music and the music that you talked about on, on the episode you did uh, yourself last week. I mean, you know, you have that music in there and it's so 
so different from what we saw. And yet it works so brilliantly. And I think that just speaks to the work of the director, um, Michael or Miguel Sapochnik. (laughs) My apologies, Miguel, for butchering your name. But I mean, the fact that these two episodes are directed by the same guy and they couldn't be more different. Um, you know, just these two, this compare the, this opening sequence to the Battle of the Bastards. Like, my God, that's, in, that's incredible. Uh, just, I'll just throw it to you first. I mean, overall, the, the King's Landing stuff. Uh, we'll start, we'll go up to the blowing up of the Sept of Baylor and then we'll talk about everything after that. But that, that blowing up of the Sept of Baylor, what'd you think of, of all the build up to that and the actual explosion itself? Oh, I thought it was fantastic. And we shouldn't be surprised about the, quality of this episode as you say when we look at the director because he was also the director of hard home yeah um, now a lot of people obviously talk about the action set pieces in that episode mm. but in the first half of that episode it was very dramatic yeah, we looked tyrion personally danny, at yeah. tyrion at danny at um cersei and, and there were uh-huh. scenes like that in there which were really impactful on an emotional level so the fact that he's done in a way two episodes which kind of was summed (laughs) up into one for Hard Home yeah exactly mirrored that Um, we shouldn't be surprised at all but it was very different and it it, it kind of drew me in throughout the entirety of this episode like there have been times when you go into episodes and you you watch a scene and sometimes it takes you a bit of time to kind of get invested into it you're just glued to the screen and then by the time it, I have ad breaks on my yeah. on my stream <laughs> yeah. I was watching uh, Karen was kind enough to let me rewatch the episode on his uh, Sky Movies account and I'm like wait what why are there ads in this this is not this is not how HBO is supposed to work <laughs> exactly and so having those ads in there usually breaks up the episode nicely mm. but I thought wow there's an advert already but it had actually gone about 25 <laughs> minutes because the the set piece was so so long but it was so absorbing and i think it gripped you from the beginning which yeah. is obviously what you want from these types of episodes particularly following such a groundbreaking episode with the battle of the bastards mm-hmm. you know a lot of people said how is this finale going to live up to that well it really did on a kind of personal drama level mm-hmm. um and what i really liked was a point that was made by i think it was db vice in one of the um, documentary featurettes that they have on the YouTube account for Game of Thrones. And he was saying that it was a bit like just getting up and going uh, to conduct your average day, you know? It was was just a normal day in the office, so to speak. (laughs) But obviously events in the day made that different. So what what did you make, before we get onto the explosion, Mm -hmm. about going to the different characters at the start and kind of getting different perspectives from them all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to put it, that it's sort of like, you know... You know, you think about days of immense tragedy in, in our world. Like you look at like something like 9-11, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like, yeah, that would just start for most people. It'd start the same way. If you had a job in, in the towers or you were flying somewhere, you know, you would just start your day. You no idea that it was going to end the way it did. And so starting it that way is so in, in a way, you know, because we see Cersei, because we see her and we see her, it, it you don't you know something is wrong you know something's wrong you know things are not going to work out for Marjorie or the High Sparrow or anybody else in the Sept or Tommen um, just you know obviously I thought he would gonna he was going to be there 
and then the mountain stopped him and then i thought oh the mountain's gonna kill him like i was like the the suicide was not what i was expecting um but yeah it was it was a smart decision and you know you mentioned how do you how do you follow up battle of the bastards i mean the temptation would be to do another epic battle and i think it 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 just goes to show actually that they made the right decision to put the battle of slavers bay in the Mm. previous episode because we had thought that would be or i had thought that would be the finale um and you know while there certainly were some stunning visuals in that with the the dragons burning the slaver ship ultimately it made more sense to put that before the battle of of the bastards and, and to get that out of the way so that once uh once the battle of the bastards happened we could then in a way it's almost this this episode everything after Tommen walks out the window it's almost an epilogue to the rest of the season yeah. you know once Tommen goes out the window it's sort of like that's that could have been the end of the season and everything after that could have been something else like that that almost felt like an, the end of an episode i think you, mm. you mentioned that to, uh, earlier you know like that that would be the, the end of the episode so I, I yeah it was a great decision i think they made absolutely the right one now again before we get to the explosion at, at the sept I want to talk a bit about Marjorie because we, I, I feel like there was, I feel like the steps, the, the, the path to Marjorie's story, I don't feel like this was where it looked like they were building up mm. to. It wasn't satisfying, really. Yeah, because there was the whole thing a few weeks ago where she gave Olena the drawing of the rose to show that she had something else planned. So... We never actually got to see her putting that plan into action. Now, if they, if we, you know, again, I think she was destined to end up dead in an explosion at the Sept of Baylor at the hands of Cersei. I don't think there was ever going to be anything else. But if we could have seen some other, some a little bit of more of an indication than what we got, because what I mean, what we got was very. I mean, like she said that she she talked to the High Sparrow. I said you, you said he wouldn't be mutilated, and he said you know once this is done, Brother Loras will be free to go. I mean. That was is that was that her plan? Because it felt like we were building up to something else. Well, it was a little bit confusing whether her plan centered on rescuing Loras mm. or something more. And I don't think we necessarily got any clue as to what that something more would be. Mm-hmm. And and we the reason why we thought there was something more is because she had help persuade Tommen to formulate an alliance between the crown and the church. Yeah. So what is the purpose of formulating that alliance if all she wanted was to rescue Loras? Yeah. That's, that's where, a bit confusing really, isn't it? Yeah, that's where this episode a little bit stumbles, I think, is is mm. that is because it's sort of like, well, wait a minute. Like, you know, one of the things that Game of Thrones does so well is, you know, set up these characters that you think has they have more to their story to go and then kills them off. Ned, Rob, Cat. Those are the obvious ones. Um, even Oberon, I would throw him in there as mm. well. But uh, th- and then you kill them off. But then when you look back, it sort of seems like yeah, for the progression of the story, naturally that made sense for their storyline to end. This it feels more like we were building something, building to something, building to something, and then it just kind of instead of being like chopped off at the head, it kind of puttered out. You know, it didn't really. Well, I guess you can maybe let it slide a bit if that is the purpose of it, in a way, is to show that, okay, you know, you thought you were going to build up to this big climactic confrontation. No, we're just going to take the carpet from underneath you. Mm. It's all gone now. But But you don't find it that satisfying. You don't find it that satisfying. You know, if you compare that to other times when they've pulled the carpet out, again, Red Wedding, Ned, those times, or again, Oberon, uh, you know, those times it, it felt like, 
a solid twist and it may be because those were kind of a little bit more action sequences but not not really well the red wedding red, you could red argue wedding, leading up wedding, to it yeah. wasn't so much yeah. action but but you know it, it felt it, they, they, it, this felt different like this this mm. didn't feel satisfying it didn't feel not that the red wedding felt satisfying but you know it didn't feel it, it felt like there was still more to go in that story mm. or, or that they had um it was just a, re- a, a misdirection for the sake of misdirection earlier. Yeah. You know, it, it almost, I almost think it would have been more devastating if we had a thought that, you know, if they had have left out the whole thing with uh, Olena, you know, if, if, if she well, had, a, if, if, you know, if we, you know, obviously Olena couldn't be there. She had to be in Dorne. You know, she had to have a reason to go to Dorne, all that. But it, it, it I almost feel like that might have been, you know, because we, we still would have been debating if, if if Marjorie really was on the side of the sparrows. I, I but just, would that have been even less satisfying if we didn't know that her loyalties really lied with her family? Yeah. Well, see, I think it would have been more satisfying because what we did get is the moment where she does kind of snap at the high sparrow and she says, um, forget the damn gods or whatever she said. Um, and you would have preferred that if we didn't if know. If we didn't know, because then it would have been like, Oh shit! She actually is on the side of mm. of you know her grandmother. She she has a plan, and then it would have been blown up. But because they gave us that hint that she had a plan, I don't know. It it, yeah. it might have been a little bit more. Although, like you say, you do need that reason to yeah. get Elena out of King's Landing, exactly. and there's no way she would have left if she felt that yeah, Marjorie was in jeopardy. Yeah, she would have died there. Yeah, and, and we then, and we need that story to continue. Exactly. By the sounds yeah. Of it. So well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. We'll, see, we'll get we'll get to we'll get to Dorne. Dorn. I know. <laughs> we'll our favorite place. Our favorite place. Yeah. Um, but okay. So the Sept blows up, uh, which was uh, you know well actually before the Sept blows up. I mean we get um, the death of Grandmaster Pycelle. Oh, wasn't that vindicating? I wonder in that way. vindicating. That yeah. was so eerie as well. But it but was the, good the to children, see him. The children. Yeah. Telling, oh man. Well, it's uh, the line as well, which I think sort of sums up a, a big theme for this episode was the one that Kyburn said, oh. which was to get rid of the new in order to usher in a new age. And I felt, in particularly with King's Landing, it was a bit of a microcosm of what we were to see later in this episode. Yeah. And the season, you could argue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, this this whole... And I mean, actually, we, the whole of Game of Thrones leading up to this yeah, point, in a way, you been, could yeah. argue. I mean, when we talk about what we're looking at to next season, I mean, so many of the the small villains that we talked about in previous episodes are all gone. Like, mm. Pycelle got, is gone, Kevin Lannister gone like we're really we're narrowing down the cast to just the most important players and you know there's a couple of other small villains and there's some there's some other people that don't really fit in just yet that we'll have to see where they go next season but it, it really has been the cast you know they, we spent so much time growing the cast for a while now we're shrinking it back down to mm. just who's most important and who's most important really are the the characters that have survived since the pilot for the most part. <laughs> and there's a few, there's obviously ex- exceptions to that rule, but that's, that does seem to be where we're going. Um, but yeah, so we, 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 we death of Pycelle, we get um, Lancel Lannister being stabbed. He sees the wildfire as a, as was predicted by the internet many, uh, many, many times that, you know, Cersei would uh, blow up the Sept of using the wildfire. I'm a. I will say I was hoping there. Looking at the episode and how it was done, there there was no place for this in it. But I was really hoping that she would utter the phrase "burn them all." Mm. I was really hoping that. But you know, that could still happen. That could still happen. Maybe she needs to say that in front of a certain twin brother of hers. Mm. Um, 
but I, I was hoping for that. But she blows up the sep. The CGI on the explosion was amazing, and they did the thing that not all. And this might just have been the budget, but not a lot of uh, big action movies do, which is they showed a little bit of destruction, but then they cut away to Cersei and they showed who what the real significance of the scene was. It's not to show off. Oh, look, we can blow up the sept of Baylor mm. with green with green fire. It was not like Michael Bay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was it was Cersei watching the fact that she had just killed all of her enemies, and you get that smug look on her face and then her ultimate vengeance and it, when she the uh, septa unella the shame nun that i mean I, that was a great that scene, was a great scene it? i mean it's hard it is rare that you root for cersei on the show and it's rare that you root for the person torturing somebody on the show but that that scene with with cersei like in that moment she was every bit the badass that she can be and every bit the badass that her father was and that it, it, it was a really an amazing scene the way she's pouring the wine on her and saying confess and then as she walks out saying shame 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 i was like oh my god so good and it just makes sense that she would go from her highest point to her lowest in the very next scene when tommen gets the word and just walks out the window <laughs> Uh, my God, I think I mentioned this in the little thing I sent you for last week's show, but like that was really probably the biggest surprise in the episode for me was how he died. Mm. I figured he was going to die. I think we all figured Tommen had to die. But you thought there'd be a bit of closure between him and Cersei. Cersei yeah, you thought there'd be something else, but instead he just walks out the window. I was like, whoa, <laughs> there he goes. But at the same time, whilst it was shocking, I imagine that like a lot of people, you didn't find it jarring or... It, it, or it didn't fit in. It completely it, fits yeah. in, didn't well, it? Well, yeah, it fit in brilliantly with the tone that, that Miguel, the director, set up for this episode. That, you know, it was kind of, you know, I, I think the term word I keep using is lyrical because that's the that was the sense that the music gave it. Um, where it wasn't this big, the, the episode was not about the big action set piece. It wasn't about the blowing up of the Sept of Baylor. It was about the characters. You know, and, you know, last week, last week the battle was obviously about the characters, but we did get a lot of you know, we, we were really in their position. We were experiencing it with them. This time we were kind of watching them. Mm. Uh, we went back to watching them. And, and so then, you know, it made sense that he would just walk up to the window. I was I kind of wonder why he took the crown off. I, I, that was something where I was a little bit curious. Obviously, obviously for blocking purposes, they wanted him to walk out of the frame for a second. So that gave, but it, could be, it could be a kind of symbolic idea of him removing mm -hmm. the crown and kind of omitting his ties with the crown and before he before goes. he goes. Yeah. He didn't he didn't want to die as the king. He yeah, to exactly. Die. He wanted to be Tommen. He didn't want to be the king. Yeah. That's the idea that you can look at. But no, it was it was really shocking. But it was so effective, and I initially didn't know exactly what was going to happen. I just sort of. You know, a lot of people, when I've looked at some reaction videos, sort of just looked and thought, oh, my God, you know, at the looking out the window saying, what a just absolute disaster, you know, just what an absolute visually destructive moment. And then he suddenly walks out and they're like, what? And what's good as well is that it then transitions straight to the speech of Walder Frey. Yeah. And I was saying to you, that I, even though it was kind of in my mind when he was saying the Freys and Alanis to send their regards, I was there just like, Tommen's gone. And then the fact as well, he was saying Alanis to send their regards. It was yeah. like, isn't that ironic yeah. in a way as well that we've just seen Tommen, off you go, down mate. He goes, down he goes. Yeah, well, and the other thing, the other thing to keep in mind is, uh, is to look at Cersei's reaction, how she's 
dead inside. Did she? Happened. She didn't even seem to really care. No, well, since she can't news. even. She, like this is you know she. Look at how how she reacted when Joffrey died. She was distraught. Obviously, mm. her child just died. Visceral, Visceral angry. Oh yeah, and, you know that's what that's what Arya told um, Lady Crane to put into mm. her performance. Um, and and you know I think that's part of the reason that they included that in this season with all the, the the play was to remind us how Cersei reacted the first time she lost a child. I, I'm drawing a bit of, of a blank on how she reacted to Marcella. Marcella was when I can remember Jamie coming in with the coffin and she sort of looked and there were sort of tears but there was also anger and I uh-huh. think that was yeah. reflective of the music that yeah. was used but she's, in general she, she still was emotional about it. She still it. was emotional. Because so now, don't forget when she ran, ran out she was like Marcella's uh, back. Yay. And then, then yeah so yeah so, she, so she's lost you know, she spent all of her energy on those t- losing her first two children. Now the third one, like she's just shell shocked. Like she can't even bring herself to cry. Mm. You know, she's uh, she's. I I don't think I don't think emotionless is the right term because she is. Well, you still, say almost just like just traumatic stress. Yeah, in a way. yeah, almost like she's just in shock. Like she can't even. She can't bring herself to 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 to. to if do she this thinks anymore. about it, she'll just she'll just go go crazy. Exactly. Think. Yeah, and you know, I, I, you know, it was kind of uh, like it was fitting that she would have have him, you know, buried to an extent where the sept was with Joffrey yeah. and Tywin. Well, isn't that another thing as well? Is that when he was telling her Kyburn about the Hub Act, obviously he's died, yeah, and then it's almost a reminder of the fact that she's just burnt down the sept, yeah, <laughs> where the you know her the legacy and her ancestors were all buried. And what has she got left now? Yeah, exactly. Jamie, well, but Jamie and you know the crown, yeah. which we'll go. Well, I want to come back to that. We'll, yeah. we'll get. I think that's probably one of the ones. That's one of the last things we'll, we'll deal with. But let's let's talk about. Let's go to the twins next because this was interesting. You mentioned that's where they went to next in the show. Let's go there next. Um, and so we get that scene. You mentioned the phrase in the Lannisters sent their regards. I did love that. I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty. It was a nice callback. Um, but you get and again. There was clearly a reason why they brought that back. Yeah, the evocative of the red wedding. Well, yeah, well, and, and so much this season has been evocative of the red wedding. There's been a lot of talk of the red wedding this season, mm. and, and a lot of talk of Catelyn Stark. And people thought that was leading to something else. But uh, we got uh, we got a scene between Jamie and Walder Frey, and I I really really liked this scene because you know one of the things we talked about. In, it wasn't last week, it was the week before, I think, with when, when Jamie had his conversation with Edmund. It almost felt like he was reverting back to just the, the Jamie that we saw back in season one. Uh, after we had had all this character progression where, with him and Brienne and, and, you know, where he had really opened up about who he was and, and how he really felt about the things that he had done. And in this scene, when Walder Frey comes and talks to him, and he almost it's almost like a reminder of all of the things that he had talked about with Brienne because he sees his future. Walder Frey says both we're both Kingslayers. And he's saying he's drawing all these comparisons between Jamie and Walder Frey, and Jamie doesn't like that at all. He doesn't want anything to do with that. Um and, and so I thought that was really I thought that was really important to sort of snap Jamie back onto the path that he was on before that conversation with Edmure, mm. which which I thought was more more interesting, more interesting, because you know when you kind of transition back into that. Well, that might have been. I think it's safe to say that might have actually been an act, which mm. to to put that on, just trying to get Edmure to go into the castle so they they could do this all without bloodshed. And if that's the case, I'm fine. Then then that scene, I like that scene a lot better. Um, but it, it was, I think, it was important to snap Jamie back onto the the path that he was 
that we, he had started on in season three and, and had sort of been transitioning towards possibly being a good guy. And at the end of the episode, when we look ahead to season seven, I've got a, I got a little theory involving two characters who are at the twins in this episode mm-hmm. and, and where their story might be going. Um, and so we get that great scene. Uh, and then we get the scene of Walter Frey, and there's that servant, and and that the, I didn't I didn't think twice about that servant girl in the episode when I saw it the first time. And when I watched it again, I'm like, oh, she was there a couple of other times, uh, and she brings him the pies with his two sons baked into them, <laughs> the the two sons who were really most responsible for the red wedding. I think one of them stabbed Talissa. And the other one, I think, closed the door. No, no, no. The, well, the other one also cut oh, Catelyn's cat's throat. throat. Okay, okay, yeah, that's right. Um, but anyway, basically, they yeah. both killed two Stark characters. Both killed two Stark characters, yeah. And so they, um, and so they've been baked into the pies, and then get the reveal. Off comes the faceless man mask, and it's Arya Stark, and she slits his throat, throat, and kills him. Which is also very evocative of the death of her mother, which yeah. is what Maisie Williams made a point of in one of the featurettes. Exactly. Well, have you seen people have pointed out that the three people who were most responsible for the Red Wedding, uh, Tywin Lannister, Bruce Bolton, Walter Frey, have all died. And they were all died, and they were all killed with the three main methods of the Red Wedding. Mm. Uh, and in roughly in the same order. So Tywin was killed with a crossbow, which is how um, Grey Wind was killed you know, Rob's direwolf yeah um, Bruce Bolton stabbed exactly how he stabbed Rob exactly Stark yeah, stabbed Rob Stark and Walder Frey slit throat just like Kat mm. so it, it's a light, nice little bit of uh, symmetry there <laughs> yeah um, it worked out and that was uh, that was a great scene again not what I was not, not I wasn't expecting this in the episode we, we had talked about how we thought Arya's story was over for this season mm. and then I saw her name in the credits I'm like really she's gonna be in this okay whatever uh, what'd you, just overall what did you think of what went down at the twins oh it was great and I think I made a point of this in the in the episode that I talked last week uh, when I was talking about this particular episode and I've I felt there was a reason why we were going back to the twins. There was going to be significant because why on earth put it in the season finale, which is directed, as we said, by Miguel, who's done so many great episodes. Why are we going back now? Mm -hmm. Um, And even after the kind of Jamie scene, I was a bit like, there's got to be more here. There's more more here than meets the eye. Um, Oh, I'm quite literally there with with Arya in the face mask. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was oh, so good and so satisfying. But I think what's more interesting is not just the fact that obviously it means Walder Frey is gone, and I think everyone's yeah. glad of that. But you know, what does this actually tell us about Arya Stark now? You know, she she makes the point when she kills him of saying, "I'm Arya Stark of Winterfell. I want you to know that before you die." I, this is a dangerous path she's going on now, really, isn't it? The path of vengeance. And, you know, where where does this end? And, and well, we well, know I, I have the list to, is a big thing. Yeah. Well, I have to I, I, I have to give my theory now because uh, this is how it this works. is an this opportune is time. It, this to is do how it. it works out, because so you look, Arya's knocking the names off her list. She got Marin Trant last season. She, she got Walder Frey. Who would probably be next? Who would she want next? Cersei. So she's going to go to King's Landing. I think she's headed to King's Landing. And we got that scene with Jamie and Walder Frey. So Jamie's not too thrilled about he's reminded of his position as kingslayer he knows what that means he knows what that future could be for him and when he goes back to king's landing and he sees cersei sitting on the throne um he does he doesn't look 
very happy for his sister. He he doesn't. I think I, I read in a review somebody saying he doesn't see his sister on the on the throne. He sees the Mad Queen. So you know he knows that Cersei is not good. So Arya is going to King's Landing. Arya, uh, my there's my theory. Arya goes to King's Landing next season, and she's going to try and kill Cersei. She's going to be stopped by Jaime Lannister because he knows what being a Kingslayer or a Queen Slayer means means you will become. He doesn't want that for Arya because he part remember part of his promise to Catelyn Stark was that he would send Sansa and Arya mm. back safely. So, possibly... so he would he would fulfill that promise to Catelyn by stopping Arya from killing Cersei, killing Cersei himself, because he is already the Kingslayer. He can just add the Queen Slayer to that as well. And that, you know, it won't change anything. He's still you know that's it would just be another thing on his on his list it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as devastating to him as it would be to somebody else Mm -hmm. to be to be to have that um to be branded as the the queen slayer in addition to the king slayer so he would stop Arya fulfilling that promise to catelyn and he would kill cersei fulfilling the prophecy that she would die at the hands of her younger brother because he is the younger twin um and you know I, I think that would be a satisfying end to his arc and whether he makes it out of king's landing or not is debatable but he would send Arya on her way north to reunite with john and sansa and possibly bran mm-hmm. so that so to yeah to summary summarize Arya goes to king's landing to kill cersei stopped by jamie who sends her to the north and kills cersei himself that's that, and that was something that when I was listening to you, you last week when you were sort of going, oh, I wonder, I don't, where, where's Arya going to go next? I'm like, I, I, I was walking around Dublin, I was listening to the episode, and it clicked. I'm like, oh, I got it, I got it. Uh, and so that, that's my theory. What do you think of it? Yeah, I think it's a very solid theory. The only other thing that I think we all will have to consider, and we'll, we'll touch upon it a little bit later, is obviously the other dimension of Danny and the Tyrells and Dawn, because I, I think it would be wholly dissatisfying if we didn't touch upon that story or, or basically what went down in King's Landing between Arya, Jamie, and Cersei has to occur with the backdrop of the Danny story because yes. she is going to that's, King's Landing and we need that to happen. And that to me, a thing that could perhaps link into your theory is that that all goes down when the uh, Danny's forces invade and Cersei may say something like "burn them all" because she knows that she can't win this battle because there's, you know, she's got they've got dragons, they've, they've got, got dra- whatever. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's the ultimate. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but also, um, I don't know how far this is going into. We've, we've sort of gone into prediction zone here, um, but sod it, we've gone for it. Um, um, well, I'll tell you what, actually, let's should we go to Marine next, and then I can bring in the Danny stuff with sure. that. I think that right. makes sense. I mean, then we can go over to the North later, yeah, because yes. we talked about the North a lot last week, so uh-huh. we'll do that last. Yeah. So we we get this scene uh, with with Danny and Dario, and she basically tells him, "You're not coming to Westeros with me. You need to stay here and keep the peace in Marine." And I think he says, "Fuck Marine," which I think is what you've been thinking all season. Yes. <laughs> He vocalized uh, what we've been thinking uh, for a while. Uh, so I thought that that was good. But she eventually convinced him to stay and look over dragons, the Bay of Dragons, which is a good uh, good rename, renaming. And actually something that he says uh, when he says, you'll get that crown or that, that throne you want so badly. I just hope it makes you happy. And then compare that to the end of the episode where we see Cersei sitting on the throne. That's what she has wanted 
her entire life. Mm. She's wanted to sit on the Iron Throne. She doesn't look happy about it one bit. So I thought that was a nice little, um, nice little bit of tying those two yeah. stories together. Um, but he reluctantly accepts, um, even though you know he's trying to convince her that he loves her and he could go with her, and even if she has to marry some other lord uh, over in Westeros, you know he could be her mistress. <laughs> I think that was another good line. Um, and so. Uh, you, you get that, and, and then we had a scene between her and Tyrion, where you know he tries to console her and fails, <laughs> um, and she then names him Hand of the Queen and gives him the pin, and you know you compare that to you know Cersei sitting on the Iron Throne. That's what she's always always wanted, and she's not happy about it at all. And Tyrion gets this pin back, and you know that was something I think he enjoyed doing back in season two was being Hand of the King. When he got that pin, you know, it's a very subtle performance by Peter Dinklage, but you can tell he was incredibly moved by that. And he, you know, he, he kneels and proclaims his um, support for her and a great, great scene. And then, of course, we end with uh, the ships headed off to Westeros. Mm. With, uh, we see, we see Theon and Yara on board. It's Grey Worm. And we got Zandai, Tyrion, and Varys. And, of course, we got the mm. Greyjoy ships. Uh, Danny ships and the Tyrells, which will the Tyrells and the Martells, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but yeah, overall, I, 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 it was the the Marine stuff had a weird sort of feeling to it. It was almost like when you're moving and you're like in your old house for the last time. Like you know, you're looking yeah. around, everything is familiar, and you're about to leave. And I think that's what they were going for because I think you know this is something we've been we've been anticipating since season one but now that it's actually happening there's this sort of like looking around and like yeah we're not gonna see marine ever again probably mm. maybe maybe like in the finale we'll get something like at the end of uh, the the special edition of return of the jedi <laughs> where you cut around to all the different all the different cities that we've been and people are partying or something uh but what do you think of what went down in marine i think it was quite satisfying and as you said it was sort of moving the pieces together um telling us that you know, dario we're unlikely to see him again i think you know, for the rest of the series which some people may think is a shame i'm not so sure in the sense that you know we've still got that kind of loose end with jorah to consider so i think mm -hmm. actually having him out the window window so to speak is probably a good thing <laughs> out the window yeah, yeah exactly Tom and style <laughs> <laughs> who knows who knows it may be that crushing to him well do you him. think he might be so heartbroken that he would betray her and not follow the order and leave i'm not sure i'm really not sure it's, that's a tricky one to say mm -hmm. the only other way i could see him returning is if he sort of is a stowaway or something and he sort mm -hmm. of manages to transport himself to westeros yeah i mean if they wanted to extend I mean, there's enough <laughs> ships there. i'm sure he could sneak on one of them yeah. i think if they wanted to extend the show by like two more seasons than than they already have planned then you would have a situation where she sets sail <laughs> she sets sail west and then like halfway there she gets a turn she gets a, like a raven saying oh guess what dario has abandoned it abandoned um slavers but hey marine uh you need to go back and restart yeah. the bees <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't think they're going that direction. No. They've said what? There's 15 episodes left, so that's not. There's no way. <laughs> and I think this was a point that they've highlighted in the finale was having that scene at the end was to say, say "Look, we it's, are going to West," as you pointed happening. out with the flag. Yeah. Uh, the oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's a little bit of the a little bit of symbolism where um, when Theon's looking up at that Greyjoy flag, it's pointed to the right at first so pointed if you were looking at the compass it would be pointed east and then 
all of a sudden it flips flips so it's pointing left pointing west if you again if you're looking at the compass and it's a little just a little bit of symbolism and of course when it flips you also get like the sun coming through and it's a really artistic shot and, yeah you know so i think it's pretty clear that Danny yeah. is going west, going and west. she will not be coming back to Marine anytime soon. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> but you know, as you said, one of the characters we see on that ship is Vara. So, is it a good time to maybe talk about the Dorn yeah, scene yeah. now? Yeah, let's, let's talk about what goes on goes down in Dorn. We finally get a, a good scene in Dorn, and I guess what it took to to shake up Dorn was uh, was putting Lady Olena in there. <laughs> she shook up all of them. She said what everybody else was thinking. Oh yeah, basically. Uh, she has that scene with, uh, with mostly where she's talking to um, Ilaria Sand, but she sort of gives each of the sand snakes like she just like throws an insult at each of them <laughs> which was fantastic um and uh basically they agree you know they they convince her to create an alliance together not a strictly tyrell um martel alliance um but a alliance together with daenerys and you get Varus there and Varus shows up and then Varus somehow gets back to the end to the ship by the end of the episode so I guess he can fly um, <laughs> maybe, maybe she um, lent him a dragon lent him a dragon yeah um, and and so I mean this raises a question this you know we, we talked about I, I I don't know this is not what I expected where Varus was going I thought he would be somewhere else or do something else but I think it worked I think it worked well maybe well. he was because it's difficult to know based on the time scale of what exactly is going on but the whole nature of him going to dawn maybe that was where he was going to go anyway but it just happened to be that with obviously the unfolding situation in king's landing that then the tyrells jumped on board so Mm -hmm. do you think perhaps that was what was happening Mm -hmm. on on that level because why would he have gone to the tyrells on um when they were allied with the lannisters technically still exactly yeah so uh, yeah so that was almost an opportunistic Uh, moment it was almost like everything was sort of every i think what we're seeing here is everything is coming together for for danny and john Mm. and uh or well i guess we'll say for the targaryens and the starks yeah while everything is crumbling for the lannisters which is interesting because you know for the first three seasons of the show everything for the starks just went to hell it just crumbled Mm. and the lannisters were there you know, when the Lannisters had an enemy in the Starks, they were able to stand strong and stand together. As soon as their enemy was gone, they started fighting amongst themselves. And I mean, I mean, for God's sakes, Tyrion killed Tywin. You know, yeah. like, and then, which was so ironic because Tywin was seen as the one person to hold it all together. Exactly. Yeah, it was his death that sparked That's all of this mess, the crumbling of the of the of the Lannisters. So it's 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 interesting now to see as the Starks are being rebuilt, as the Lannisters are, are crumbling, and there's this other threat coming in from coming in from the east that will be very interesting to see how that plays out. Um, let's see, you're done, Dorn, done, Marine. So should I quickly talk about my little prediction I have oh, for, yeah, the, absolutely, absolutely. for the King's Landing? Yes, go um, for it. I, I, as I said, I think that Danny and the Tyrells, maybe, well, I don't know the extent to which her other underlings will be fighting in this but um, I think Danny's going to make it to King's Land and I think she'll be relatively successful in their invasion attempts and one of the reasons I think of this is can you remember at the end of season two when Danny was in a sort of vision setting mm. with um, one of those people where, where was she again she was in the house of the undying yes that was it, in the house of the undying um, and she actually walked through the throne room, which was, in, yeah. was encased in snow. But when you looked at the top, 
of the throne room, it was burnt. It looked mm. like something had burnt it. And so I'm wondering the extent to which that was caused by a dragon or wildfire. But all I will say is I think that is a bit of foreshadow of what's to come. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that makes that makes a ton of sense. I mean, that, that, yeah, now, obviously, now the snow wanna, being the white yeah, walkers. Yeah, as well. obviously. Now I want to go well, back and rewatch that season two episode and really get a good get a good grasp on it. But yeah, that that definitely I think that makes a lot of sense. And Probably so. I mean, we all, the, the other thing we keep seeing is the shot that shows the dragon shadow flying over King's Landing. Mm. So I, I think we will see, um, you know, a rather swift invasion of King's Landing. And, you know, if. Well, do you not think that will be the climax to season seven? I, Particularly if they're going to only have, what, seven episodes and yeah. probably listing a season. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it might be. I'd say maybe that's going to be the equivalent to episode nine. Mm, yeah. uh, it will be the big battle, and then the finale will be, "Hey, Danny, meet your nephew." <laughs> hey, there we go. Yeah, we might as well go Should there. Should we go yeah, up we to might, the north might now? Might as well go there next. Um, let's go beyond the wall. We see Bran and and uh, and Mira and Benjen, um, and Benjen just abandons them <laughs> without a horse, without a cart. Mira now has to drag Bran. He can. Do a little army crawl or something. They gotta get to the wall. They're close enough to the wall. Um and and um you know, Benjamin reveals that uh, you know, he um he can't cross he can't go across the wall because the wall is not just stone nice, there's also magic that keeps the undead or keeps the dead out, and he is undead, even though he still fights for the living, so he basically has to leave and this this was the other point in the episode where i thought it was a little bit weird where it was like okay you just you made a big deal of bringing this guy back a few weeks ago with his big rescue and then we don't see those guys for a bunch of episodes and then when we do he's like yeah i gotta go <laughs> i'm out of here guys <laughs> i'm out but um, i think there will be a bit of significance to oh yeah, that i'm sure there's still more to come with with, with Benjin, I'm sure he will come back. And before we get onto the Tower of Joy stuff, mm. in relation to that, I actually think that there was a reason that they highlighted that. And we know that Bran is marked with the White Walkers' touch. Yeah. So I think that will help the White Walkers get in. But we won't see that. I think we'll actually see Benjin come in through first. And then it will be like, hang on a minute, you can't get through that. And then once we know Benjin oh. can, we're all going to so be we're like... Not, so we're, not actually, we're not actually going to see the wall fall. You don't think we're actually? You don't think that'll be? I mean, we could do, but I, I don't know. I think I think that could be either of those could be quite effective in a dramatic mm -hmm, way yeah. of being like, oh my god, Bran. You know, we thought it was safe, and Bran. You know, by that point, Benjamin may not even meet Bran. It may be that Benjamin meets with the Night's Watch people, but Bran's already down at Winterfell. So then we know, oh my god, oh my Bran god, has gone so far. Gonna, yeah. Look at what's happened here. And, and you remember back when John left. The wall. What sounds? Mm. Like, what do you say to Ed? Don't knock it down while I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, he oh, may have to Ed. knock it down. That poor could be interesting, Ed. couldn't yeah. it? I feel yeah. He's he's <laughs> he's he's got the the rub rub the green there, isn't he? Yeah. It's a bit like post Brexit Britain. He's kind of got <laughs> uh, post John wall. Yeah, and it's exactly. not going to well, go and well. He's, and he's got you know twenty other <laughs> Nights Watchmen who are all dopes, and you know yeah. it's not. It's going to be poor Ed. <laughs> Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna call for John's aid and be like, "Can we have some more for Can the Night's Watch?" And John's, John's <laughs> like, um, "I think we're all Night's Watch at this point." You know, <laughs> I think uh, yeah. But I mean, let's let's go with Tower of Joy. So we go back to where we were left off when when Bran wanted to follow young Ned into the tower, and so we see 
in the tower, Ned goes in and he finds Lyanna Stark, and she is dying as a result of giving birth to this new child. And she says, mm. to, she says, this is this was. I thought this was a little bit strange that they held back on this, but she says she does. We don't actually hear her tell Ned who the father is. We're still left to assume mm. that it's Rhaegar Targaryen. Or you can still, on a technicality note, say she didn't say the name of the child. She either. didn't say that. Yeah, she does say his name is... And then it yeah. <laughs> gets cut out, cut out. People have actually... Some lip readers have suggested that she might say his name is Joharis. Mm. A, little dar- a little Targaryen name there. Mm. Um, and it could be Ned who calls him John. John, yeah, just to hide that fact. Um, and so... You know, she says, you know, Robert can't find out. If he ever finds out, he'll kill him. And that, I think, gives so much more weight to a couple of scenes in season one between Ned and Robert. The first is when they're Mm. traveling on the King's Road and they stopped. And, uh, you know, Robert is reminiscing about about all the women. And he asks Ned about, um, you know, John's mother. And he says, ah, you never told me about her. And Ned says, and I never will. And for obvious reasons, now we know. And the other one, the other scene is when... They find out that Danny is pregnant. You know, Varys' spies bring that information back. And Robert is at the meeting of the small council. And he's saying, we need to kill her. And Ned is saying, tell me you're not considering this. Tell me you're not going to, we're not discussing murdering a child. Mm. And, you know, Liana was right. And you feel for him a lot, because oh, Ned yeah. in particular. Because, I, I, because now we know that John is Targaryen, part Targaryen, and um, yeah. Robert wants to wipe them all out. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, Ned's defense of, of Danny is not, it's not based on, you know, Robert in that scene calls Ned the honorable fool. It's not based on any sort of honor any, anymore. It's based on, well, the honor is not just it's wrong to kill children. It's based on this promise that he made to Lyanna that, mm. you know, he would protect John or Joharis or whatever we're going to call him next season. Um, you know, he made that promise, and now, you know, his best friend is basically advocating killing another child. And and if if and now he knows for sure, if Robert ever found out that Jon Snow is Jaehaerys Targaryen, hmm. Jon Snow is dead. And and Ned, Ned loves Jon Snow. You know, Ned, you know that that's you know he treats him like his own son. It's cat that doesn't treat him very well mm. um but you know ned ned truly does care for Jon snow and, and you know it's a reminder of his sister and and, and all the stuff and so I, I feel like that scene you know i rewatched that scene after seeing the tower of joy and it just made it all the more impactful and all of it um as well just the whole season one as you say with the fact that ned's honor has always been put into question because of that moment even though we could look and at his character in season one, and when he was killed, people were so sad, not just because it was obviously Sean Bean, and yeah. you know he's a very good actor, but because Ned was honourable, and yeah. he wanted to do the right thing. And John was like the one time he wasn't yeah. honourable, and now we know... He was actually he was more, most honourable yeah. than any other person. And it was interesting, because the last time we saw Ned in this season was when... He didn't actually kill. Yeah, he, uh, when, he, when he was losing the fight, when to he, Arthur when he, Dane and, yeah. and and Howland Reed came and stabbed him in the exactly. back of the throat, which makes people think, oh, well, so Ned also lied about that, yeah, or yeah. he lied about this, and suddenly so, yeah, you feel like his status is crumbling. Yeah, you're seeing, you're almost like they're they're starting to knock Ned down a little bit so that they can like build him up even yeah. more when we see this and we we learn the truth about about Jon Snow, and of course you get the shot of the baby and then just a 
straight cut mm. to John standing there. Well, I've got a theory about how some of this is all going to unfold because the big question that I imagine fans will have is, okay, this is all well and good. We know. Bran knows. But how are you going to convince other people about this? I mean, you know, Bran is a child, pretty much. Okay, he's an adolescent, but he wasn't around during that time. Um, and also, what information is really going to legitimize this? I have a theory. Do you? I do too. Yeah, I have a theory. I, I, maybe we have the same theory. Um, but you know, we see in this in this episode, right? Everybody swears their their fealty to the King in the North, and you know, it was the King in the North whose name is Stark. Mm. John's name was, and they they say, okay, well, he's not Stark. He's Snow, but he's still Ned Stark's bastard son. So he might might as well be a Stark. I think Bran and Jon and Sansa will reunite next season. Probably Arya as well. But at the very least, those three Starks will uh, reunite. And Bran will pass that information on. And, you know, Jon very much has Ned's honorability. And he, they would know that if the Northmen found out that he is not a Stark at all, not really, he's still got... Stark well, he is blood, a Stark, but, half you know, Stark but, still. Yeah, but he is half he's still Tar- a bastard. But. Yeah, but he was half Targaryen. Would they still follow him? Because they said, we're, we're swearing our, our loyalty to the king in the north, to somebody whose name is Stark, and his name is Targaryen. Um, so they might they, they may be willing to follow Jon Snow, but are they willing to follow Jaharis Targaryen? That's a whole other can of worms. So I think Well, Ned- technically, would they even have to do that if Bran came in? Because wouldn't he be the... He, he, he would want, be he, the he would be the official male heir yeah, anyway. Yeah, but, but they, would they want to follow a cripple? Yeah. That's the other question. So I think, you know, John having Ned's sense of honorability will inform the the, 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 the king of the, the Northmen that, the, of this truth, and say you need... I, I If you do not... And they won't want to follow him, but he will pass. He will pass instead pass his crown as king in the north onto Sansa, and she will be queen in the north, and she will follow them. Because if you look at what's going on, you look at the three key players at the end of this episode: Cersei, Danny, John. One of these things is not like the others. You know, it, it really you are setting up a situation where you have it's it's now the the women who are in charge. The men fucked it up, and the women are in charge, and. John and Sansa is kind of the one, the one uh, place where that you still have the more traditional roles, mm. and it, it kind of stands out. So I, I would imagine by the end of next season we have the Queen in the North as Sansa Stark instead of uh, the King in the North as Jon Snow, and you know sh- he will still fight for them. He will still be military commander, and he'll obviously be instrumental in forming some sort of alliance with Danny to fight the White Walkers in the final season. Uh, but that's that's where I sort of think that's where I sort of see it going, and and you know the one person who might, you know, when they're in that situation of who can, can we are we going to 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 stand up and follow this one person who might um, be able to sway people is Littlefinger. Mm. Well, I I have a theory, but we'll come on to Littlefinger yeah. in a bit. But I have I've I've got a theory, and I've got parts one and two to it because the second part involves Littlefinger, but the first part. I don't think that Bran will go straight to Winterfell. Oh. I think that he will go to find um, Howland Reed. Mm. Because obviously he's there with his daughter as well, so that's yeah. a bit of a connection. Mm. And he was there at the Tower of Joy where he's Ned was. He could be the only person in living memory who's still alive and knows the truth. Um 
but I'll come on to my second part of what I think could happen as a result of that. But what, what would you say about that possibility? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a, I think that's a strong possibility because you know, I, I think this whole, I think in the books they had a Tower of Joy flashback back in the first, first book. It didn't go into depth about what happened. Only that Ned made a promise to, um, to Leanna, yeah. and then everything else is kind of. And from there, people extrapolated to R plus L equals J. Um, and, and so, you know, it's kind of odd that the only other person who who survived that encounter at the Tower of Joy has not appeared at all in the mm. show or the books. So I think it does, it, it would it would seem to make sense that, you know, he's alive for a reason. You know, if, if Ned really wanted to keep his secrets, he could have stabbed him in the back. He could have killed him. He could have gotten rid of him. But Howland... Howland Reed kept that secret, so yeah, I think that's a that's a good that's a that's a solid theory that he would go after uh, that they would go to find Mira's father, and how use him as a yeah, way to because he may have some sort of official or whatever he might have some 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 something, official yeah. evidence basically yeah. to then produce to whoever maybe you know, John has, and be like this is the truth maybe he has a sign like a signed and sealed thing from Rhaegar Targaryen or something like that yeah like, that has that well it may not even be his scroll it could be a scroll from Arthur Dane or yeah, someone or like somebody, that yeah somebody because he stabbed him obviously so maybe he looked to see what else he yeah, had because you know I mean you know, when Robert died back in season one he gave Ned that, that scroll and stamped it with his thing and, and most people Cersei being the exception <laughs> would mm. have taken that and gone okay Ned's okay. This is Robert's final, uh, final will and testament. What did Cersei and, do? Yeah, ripped it up. Nope, nope. I'm gonna sit my son on the thr- on the throne, and that'll be good for everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, so um, should we go then to the Sans little finger scene that we see? Yeah, let's we'll see go, that. and then that will build up to the King in the North scene. The King in the North, yeah. Um, yeah, so we get we get that scene between uh, Sansa and Littlefinger at the uh, the Weirwood Tree where, where we saw Ned back in season one, and Littlefinger reveals his ultimate goal, which is to mm. sit on the Iron Throne with Sansa by his side, and he he tries to make a move and she rejects him. Yeah. Um, and you know he says you know he's declared the Knights of the Vale for the Starks. And she says, "Yeah, well, you've declared for other people before, so I don't, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent trusting you." Yeah. So, uh, I mean, your prediction in, in a way was wrong then, yeah, which I was glad. Yeah, of. Uh, she's she's still going to kill him. Like I'm, I'm standing until somebody else drives a knife through his heart. I'm standing by the fact that she <laughs> is going to kill him, even if it has to happen after the series is over. Even if it's just like <laughs> purely speculative, um, you know, it's it's the the EU of <laughs> Game of Thrones, uh, ex- expanded universe, not universe, e- European Union, in case. Uh, People aren't okay, fully so versed in, yeah, yeah. You, or you aren't fully versed in Star Wars, <laughs> the language of Star Wars. Um, uh, but yeah, so she she basically she turns it down. Uh, what did you make of that scene? I really enjoyed it actually, and it's the first time, as you said, we've overtly discovered what his plan is. Yes, okay, we had the whole chaos as a ladder speech, but he's never said that as honestly as explicitly as he did with Sansa. Mm -hmm. And I think that's curious in itself because I think it shows he trusts Sansa enough. And the fact that he's now telling her at this point is he probably feels the end game isn't too far away in his mind, which would make a lot of sense because, you know, whatever happens with his character, we are coming near to the end of the series. So something has to give at some point. 
But how far are we going to see Littlefinger progress onto that path of victory? You know, it still remains a bit ambiguous. But um, yeah, it's interesting how the tables are turned in a bit, really, haven't they? Because yeah. Sansa was a sort of the reliant on him, and now he's reliant on her to get that. to get to get what he wants. Yeah, and it would be interesting. I mean, if he were to die. Mm. What happens to the Knights of the Vale? Are they now, would they be under Robin Aaron's control? Yes. However, there is obviously that possibility that they could try and broker some sort of marriage between Sansa and Robin, <laughs> which sounds which sounds ridiculous. God, oh poor Sansa. <laughs> Jesus, she goes from Tyrion to Ramsay to Robin Aaron. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. However, on a really weird level. She could easily um, play the little finger role sure, with Robin, could... couldn't she? Because Robin could... is easy enough to control, I think, compared to Ramsay, for goodness sake. Yeah, oh my God. just send Robin. A well, bird. yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, she. Yeah, but then she what I would mean be is that she would be the powerhouse yeah. there, and or... would she need Littlefinger? Yeah, exactly. Well, the other thing she could do, she could marry Littlefinger and then kill him. Yeah, and then. I guess then she would have control, wouldn't she? Or would but they she technically wouldn't, would oh, she? No. Because Robin. So what? Ba- what basically has to happen is she's gonna marry Robin. <laughs> no, what? Well, ha- not, not again. What has- I, I see. I, I figured Sansa would, um, you know, she would end this series in, in some sort of like. Um, you thought he was going to die in this. Episode. I thought he was going to die in the episode. It. No, no, I did. I did. Yeah. I, when she, when he went to to kiss her, I was hoping for, you know, like she just stabbed him. Instead, she just rejects him i i I don't know i kind of picture sansa as somebody who's she's not she's been put into two marriages that are based on purely political movements and neither time worked out very well i mean Tyrion was was good to her he he treated her with respect Mm. um but with joffrey was obviously another one wasn't it yeah exactly joffrey was horrid ramsay was even worse um you almost wonder, like she, she might. She, I, I figure she's going to be the type of character who's not going to play that game anymore of political marriages. She's going to find other ways. She's going to be a little bit more like Littlefinger, somebody who is, who was for the for a long time, just a just a bachelor, just a single dude for a long time. I, I imagine she'll do something similar where she's not constantly looking for that political marriage. She's just going to play the game from outside, and if she's Queen in the North, as I'm predicting she will be by the end of next season, I think that she's in a, a much stronger position to do that where she doesn't have to rely mm. on. And and if, you know, if, you know clearly if, if Danny were to arrive and, and they would have some sort of, there would be some sort of respect between queens the same way there was between Danny and Yara. And I'm sure even though we didn't see it, there would have been between Danny and Olena and Danny and uh, yeah. Ilaria. So, you know, I, I feel like there's that, that, respect among women who have risen to that to this level yeah. in this world that has spent so much trying to, time trying to keep them down yeah well i think as well with sansa it's interesting about the rise of the matriarch but mm-hmm. i think with with sansa she's gonna she what you're talking about in the political marriages i think she might actually use that now to her advantage i think this is the first time we're actually going to see sansa kind of take up that mantle now she's been in marriages where she's really been forced into them now i think she's going to make a marriage of choice and when she's in that marriage she's going to have the power whether that be with robin and whether that be with littlefinger because i or maybe think... or maybe if you believe the the the, the, the online shippers with john 
or with John, which could be I mean, very they weird. Aren't, they aren't, they'd be cousins, so. Yeah, still, but that was more yeah, of a Targaryen yeah, thing. That was more of a Targaryen thing. Well, you know, John Targaryen. Oh, God. <laughs> um, okay, so before uh, I get onto my yeah. prediction with little fingers, should we go on to the King in the North scene yeah, then? King because the that North. feeds yeah. into part of it, I think, as well. Yeah. Well, we get that. We get this great scene with um, all the northern houses. Um, there's this sort of debate of what are they going to do? You know, the Knights of the Veil don't want to fight alongside um, the wildlings. And it's uh, Lady Mormont, uh, yeah. the, the 12-year-old um, badass who convinces everybody. The you know, voice she, of reason. Voice of reason, yeah. She, she's the one who stands up and says, you know, we're, you know, we're going to follow the Starks from this day till, till my last. And uh, when she does it, then... Yet the Umbers and the Glovers, they they make they make their pledge, and then everybody is cheering, cheering on the King in the North, and you know they they mention in one of the behind the scenes thing that you know it's supposed to be evocative of when Rob got that same title, and things didn't end that well for Rob, and so you know the young wolf to the white wolf, is this really gonna? I don't know. It's not. It's things well. When when you watch it for the first time before you saw the feature, it were you concerned about how evocative that scene was of Rob Stark? Because no doubt it crossed your mind. Yeah, yeah. I sort of looked at it like, okay, well, so this he's getting the Rob treatment, and then I'm sort of thinking, well, Rob, that didn't end well for Rob. He, he, you know. But then that was also Rob making his own mistakes in other mm. places. Well, I guess you could argue the difference being is that, of course. Um, at the moment, at least, John is not going to fight a war, but we know that at some point he will, yeah. because he'll have to fight the White Walkers at the very least, if not the Crown. Um, but also, what I think is quite interesting is um, you know, the fact that John is being proclaimed a king. Wasn't that something that Davos and Jerome yeah. Spain talked about <laughs> and said that, yeah, but we aren't following a king; we're following John Snow? But you do see, you do see Davos. You know, he's up there cheering. I agree. The and king of the North. Yeah, but what, but what I mean is, isn't that two instances now we've heard uh-huh. of the idea of being a king yeah. is not a good thing. So, you know, look what happened when Tormund Giantsbane followed the king beyond the wall. Yeah. He died. Uh, Davos followed Stannis. He died. And now we're seeing a scene with Rob Stark, king in the north. He, he died. died. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's John, not but, John, but John's already died once. <laughs> yes. But there's one scene that we have yet to talk yes. about, which I think is important to know. Wait, hold on. Was Tormund in this episode at all? Not that I could recall. Yeah, I was surprised he wasn't there in the King of the North scene. No. That would have been... Uh, now Maybe that, he was and we just didn't notice. Didn't notice yeah. But You didn't get a close-up. That's, that's the that's thing. true. But there is one scene yes. that we completely forgot, which is so important as well to what how this scene plays out, and that's the Davos Melisandre scene. Yes. It wasn't that so good, by oh, the way. So good. So good. I, I, you know, I, I did what a performance by Liam Cunningham. Liam Cunningham. That guy. I mean, that guy, I remember seeing him at Comic-Con last year where he was on the Hall H panel. And, like, he was basically in character the whole time. He was, like, you know, he was brought out on stage after they brought out um, Karisman Houghton, who plays Lady Melisandre. And the first thing he does, he, you know, you know how Comic-Cons people usually walk out and say, like, hey, everybody, and they're waving to the crowd. He runs out on stage and he bolts it. He books it right over to her and he grabs her by the neck, obviously acting, and starts shaking her like he's trying to throttle her for killing Shireen. And then, you know, he's, he sits down and they somebody brought up that scene and he just looked over and he looked over and he's like, that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was fantastic. I think I can't remember if he's going to be there again this year. I'm so hoping he is because uh, they did put out the list of, of people who would be there. Um, conspicuous by his absence, 
Kit Harrington. What the mm. fuck, dude? Where? Why aren't you at Comic Con? You met, uh, I, I understand missing last year because you were all trying to, tr- to trick us into thinking you're dead. But this year, come on. Um, where well, was but it? what where did you at? make that of this? <laughs> thing? The lady, <laughs> yeah. lady Melisandre. I got caught up in stories from last summer. <laughs> Uh, the lady most interesting. Yeah, I did love uh, Davos yelling, "Tell him what you did! Tell him what you did!" That was almost inadvertently comical, I will say. <laughs> uh, but it was, but in the you know when we saw it in the trailer, it was kind of funny. But when we see it in the episode, it was very heartbreaking because you know it's it's this realization. I, I do wonder why they saved this for the end of the season. This almost feels like something that could have happened much much earlier. Mm, but was it was it the purpose of getting rid of Melisandre? Was that the importance? Yeah, of the scene I think as that was anything. Yeah, but again, I feel like that could have happened a lot sooner because you know she was. I mean, she didn't really do much. For she the rest has, of yeah, the season. you know, she had a big part in the first two, three episodes. Mm. You know, with the taking off the, the you know revealing revealing herself to be four hundred years old or whatever, and then bringing John back, and then asking John about what's after death. And then after that, she hasn't really had anything to do. She's been kind of absent. And so I feel like, and as you would say, probably conspicuous by yeah. absent. Yeah, I mean the only other absent. the only other scene that they had was you know her 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 conversation with John where he says you know if I fall don't bring me back and I guess I don't know I, that that scene was interesting and, and gave us a little bit of insight into how John was feeling at the time, um, but it, I don't know if it was completely necessary. I feel like this is something that could have happened much much sooner. That being said, what we did get was excellent you know when you know and maybe maybe you know you needed a situation where john had a little bit more authority or something and then that's why they saved it but um it was you know it was heartbreaking to see davos have that real realization um and you know we get john he he doesn't he doesn't execute her because that's the that's the thing with melisandre she burned a child alive and she brought john snow back do those things uh balance each other out or are they just or is one worse than the other or is one better than the other, you know? And, and so he sends her away and says, uh, you know, if I ever see you again, you'll be hanged as a murderer. Uh, and uh, that, and so she's gone. And, and so it's an interesting thing seeing. I'm, I'm curious to see where she goes next because the, the two obvious places are the Brotherhood and Arya. Mm. She, has, she did tell Arya that she would see her again, that they would meet again. So that still has to happen. And then the Brotherhood, because, you know, she would hang out with Thoros and, and those guys. And maybe maybe that's going to bring a bunch of people together. And, yeah, because that, that's north. a good point, isn't it, really? Now Melisandre's gone, I think she will go to the Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And that's important, because we said that was kind of one of the loose story yeah, lines still. It's like, the, what are they doing? Are they yeah. just going to go on their little side adventures <laughs> whilst everything else is going down? Yeah. No, it's not. They're They've got to bring them together. And also, wouldn't that be a good way to bring in Arya to the story, with Arya and the Hound, and then Arya and Melisandre? Well, and, and Beric is on her list, too. That's the other thing. Because, because, oh, because yeah. you know, he was. Why? Know, why is he on the list? Isn't he on the list for? Um, what did he do? Because he, he he didn't kill the hound. But she doesn't want the hound dead now. No, no, but 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 she, but he, at the time she did. So maybe maybe he's. Maybe but how, he's how, the, how is she going to kill him every time yeah. someone's going to bring him back? Yeah, exactly. She's going to have to kill Melisandre. Uh, well, she? and I think Thoros was on the list too at one point. Hmm. I, I think so. I, for some reason, I, I feel like they were on the list. Um, but I feel a bit sorry for them now. Yeah, I think, well, but you know, if the hound is is still alive and and he's been taken off the list, and if she were to meet up with them, maybe uh, you know, when if if my theory plays out, Jamie would send her off and they would meet up some way like that. 
Um, or maybe Jamie could be traveling with them. That would be, ooh, that would be kind of interesting to see Jamie Lannister with the Brotherhood without banners. Mm. That might be an interesting way for his story to end. If he's, you know, killed the Mad Queen, if he might, you know, he might want to go and fight in this final, this final fight and, you know, the Brotherhood without banners who were after, who were out killing Lannisters. That was their thing. They were fighting the Lannisters. So that could be interesting. Mm. That could be interesting. We're seeing, seeing some interesting ways this could play out. You get a reunion with the Hound. And if the Hound's alive, maybe he could convince Arya, hey, look, these guys, they were, they were awful before, but now they're on the right path. They're going north. They're going north to help your, fu- your yeah. brother and your sister fight the real war that's about to happen. So. Exactly. Now, that's a good way of doing it. And perhaps it has also helped then that we see Beric Dondarrion and Forrest and Mir execute those evil brothers because it yeah. shows to the Hound as well as us that, no, these guys are who uh, they uh, say yeah. they are. And then, then, then there's still just the one other dangling plot line they could bring this in as well. Gendry, where the hell is he? He could, he could maybe he could wind up back with the Brotherhood. Maybe he's back with the Brotherhood, and we just didn't see him. Well, Gendry would be perfect as well because yeah. Arya and that yeah, whole dynamics this, like, between those two. <laughs> you might as well bring back Hot Pie. Just get the whole the whole uh, season <laughs> I mean, two I'm and sure three Hot gang Pie back can, together. <laughs> can bring a lot to the table. <laughs> yes, other than just food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I've uh, the other thing as well. Going back to the the King in the North because I think um, this now this all fits in with what we were talking about mm. with the the scene being very evocative of Rob Stark and now we know that sandra has gone it means that Rob you know hasn't got that safety net sorry not Rob <laughs> that John hasn't got that safety Rob net Rob would have liked to have had that safety net oh yeah he, he probably needed it yeah. but well he's, no he definitely needed yeah, it really um, needed, yeah. but now John hasn't got that safety net of you know I think somebody said it was akin to when you like start the level of a game again or something <laughs> when you says game over he hasn't got that now I'm not saying that he won't need it and he may well get it at some point but we saw as well in that scene the look between Sansa and Littlefinger I mean they made a point of showing that at the end and a bit of eerie music yeah well I mean what does that tell you there's long been a debate of how much Littlefinger knows about R plus L equals J does he suspect it because if you remember last season in the scene in the crypt when he's talking about Rhaegar and Lyanna mm. and and Sansa says yeah and then he kidnapped her and raped her and Littlefinger gives her this look of maybe maybe not like you know yeah. like he seems to be alluding to the fact that he might know a little bit more because this is where so, I thought the Reed thing would become important uh-huh. because I, I thought that what would happen after the Bran thing if my theory would be yeah. correct is that Littlefinger was somehow hijacked that or either that or he's spoken to Howell and Reed about something yeah. into this but anyway carry but on yeah, no, but so he, he, might, he might know that you know this King of the North, whose name is Stark, they're uh, aligning themselves with, might not be that mm. Stark, and you know he because he gave her a look as well of a bit like mm, really as yeah. though like, like is like, you're really going to go down this way yeah or like you know like you should be, you should be the one that they're yeah. that they're cheering for and so I, I I do think that we will wind up some one way or another with the Queen in the North uh, at some point. But another interesting point as well is how this is all going to go down. Mm-hmm. And I we've seen it in this season already, and watching the featurette about the King in the North scene, um, I think it was particularly comments from Liam Cunningham, which I'm just going to quickly get up now. This shows how organized Kira's I Kira's got his, his pages of notes here. <laughs> I've got my pages of notes here. Um, and one of the things that was actually said by Liam Cunningham um, is about this idea of saying yes, John is the right man for the job, but I fear for I fear the relationship between John and Sansa 
is an indication of what is to come, and I'm not sure it's going to be pretty. <laughs> Now, we have already seen this tension kind of emerge over the course of this season, and I think the big climax to that tension was um, in the previous episode in the room and the veil yeah. uh, but also we did have that scene between John and Sansa in this episode of him like saying we need to trust each other now we have so many enemies are those two going to become enemies what do you think oh man I hope not I, I couldn't I couldn't take another <laughs> another Stark break break up there uh, I, I, don't, I think they um They're setting drama up, yeah. though, aren't they? That's the But, thing. But, I mean, I, I feel like John is still reluctant. I think he's still the reluctant king in the North. I think he doesn't want to be king. I think he, in that scene, he's just glad that people are going to follow him because he knows what the real fight is. That's what he's always known. Is he's always known that this that this, this Battle of the Bastards with, with Ramsay Bolton, that was not the real fight. The real fight is still to come. So he's glad about that. But I don't think he... When that's done, he doesn't want to be king of the north. My theory is, is still that he's going to go back to the um, Night's Watch as John Targaryen or, or whatever, and become Lord Commander there again. And that's how he will live out his days, you know, brokering peace between the the, the and maybe wildlife. take up the mantle similar to what the Maester did. Yeah, the Grand Maester. Grand Maester. Yeah. Um, well, and the other and the other thing is, this is just kind of interesting. Um, John was the nine hundred and ninety eighth. Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. That would make Ed 999. Mm -hmm. And if he were to become it again, he would be the 1,000th. I, I think that's just a little a little interesting. Uh, that would be interesting if, if it were to happen, that Jon Snow could become the, the, the 1,000th. Um, that, that's where I think he's going. So I, I do think that he doesn't want to be king, whereas Sansa, I think... And I don't think he's equipped to be king, really. I, I think he... Um, because he's so reluctant, I, mm. I think... Whereas somebody like Sansa, who has had um, some very horrific experiences the way he had, who was raised in the same, a lot of the same situations that he was, you know, with Ned, um, mm. I, I feel like she would be more suited to ruling than he is. I don't think he's suited to actually ruling, you know, the same way, well, not the same way, but similar to how Robert was, you know, he was, he was a good warrior, but as king, you know, he kept things together. Um, but that was mostly through John Aaron and Ned Stark. Well, I mean, the similarities between John and Danny then are quite, yeah. quite overt, aren't they? That's why Danny needs Tyrion because uh -huh. he is the one who is very nuanced about yeah. this. But isn't there a stark contrast with the fact that Tyrion obviously got that pin mm -hmm. of being uh, promoted? You could argue to hand to the queen. Where's Sansa's acknowledgement been in all of this? Yeah, and I exactly. think isn't that part of the problem, which is what a lumber of Uh, actors, etc., have been alluding to. I mean, obviously, cast members, not just random actors. But, you know, <laughs> but, yeah, Tom Cruise was really upset about yeah, this. <laughs> um, but what, what do, you, do you think that's a valid point about yeah, the I, lack of acknowledgement? Well, whether it's right or wrong is not really that debatable. It's how Sansa perceives it, which is the important mm -hmm. thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it, it might be that might be something that Littlefinger, where Littlefinger tries to drive that wedge in between. And I, ultimately, there may be some tension next season. There may be some drama, but I don't. I, I, I don't imagine that those two are going to become enemies. I, I do think that before it's able to get to that level, Bran and perhaps Howland will show up and say, "Hey guys, guess what we have? Guess guess what? We've got some information for you that mm. might change things." And then 
I I do think that the reveal of, of John's I keep saying this, but I, I do really believe that the reveal of John's true parentage will affect this whole King in the North situation mm-hmm. and will lead to the Queen in the North instead. Um and then, then I think Oh, there's one more storyline that we haven't talked yeah. about. <laughs> Sam, Sam and Gilly go into uh, the most important yeah. of the episode. <laughs> I, th- th- those, I think, think uh, th- those two after after the end of the way things ended last season, where Sam was so involved for like three seasons, three mm. or four seasons there, to then like this this year they were in three episodes. Him and him and Gilly. Uh, you know, I, I hope. That that there's obviously I think we're this is going somewhere. I think that the general consensus is the belief that he will find something in this library about the White Walkers, and then he will mm. have to go back to the North, and he will bring this information to John, and then John and Danny together will be able to to defeat the White Walkers, or if that's even where we're going, if it's actually like a defeat in battle that we're going to. I'm not convinced that that's the climax. Is not going the climax of this story is not going to be. Um, Danny stabbing the Night's King or anything like that. I think it's going to be far more complex. Hmm. And you know, you remember in the Hodor episode this year, um, in the behind-the-scenes feature, you know, um, it was Benioff or Weiss, one of those guys. They they mentioned that you know when George told them was laying out the story for them, there were three oh my god moments. The first was the burning of Shireen. The second was hold the door, and the third has to do with the end of the story. And so I, I, there, I, there's still there's still more to come there, um, but but Sam's got to find something out about something out about that. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he finds that out. Like he finds it out, but doesn't tell anybody. You know, like he finds yeah. it out, and goes, "Oh my god, Gilly, we gotta go." Um, and she goes, "Why, Sam?" Like because and cut to somewhere else. And then the next time we see them, they're in the north. Um, uh, well, think- actually, there's, there's a little something that's got to go on in between there. But yeah. uh, we'll we'll get to that when we do predictions um, proper. Um, but yeah, it, but the, the scene itself, the, the scene itself, um, it was a fun scene. Like it was like, I, I did enjoy that, that maester <laughs> there just kind of like not, not even wanting to reach out to take Sam's letter. I thought it reminded that was really me good. of like when Harry Potter went to Gringotts and they were a all little just, bit, yeah. <laughs> all the goblins are there just a bit like whatever. Does, does Harry Potter have his key? Yeah. She, it would have been funny if, if Gilly had it or something. Yeah, <laughs> like Hagrid. Oh, yeah, got it here somewhere. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then you get the scene of Sam walking into the library, and that was uh, that was a pretty fun scene. Although he does kind of just leave Gilly there with little Sam. He's just like he yeah. like he's like following the maester. And he's like trying to think of something to say, and he just waves goodbye <laughs> instead. She's like, you almost needed a scene of Gilly like going, well, now what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He left him behind. He left. He left her behind again. <laughs> um, but I think what we can see, uh, partly because of that scene, is the fact that they're trying to accelerate Sam's story very quickly. Very quickly We're just yeah. not seeing a lot of it. You know, mm-hmm. the the three scenes that we've seen in here have been very different, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, sorry, in the in the three episodes that yeah. we've seen him in. So you know, one was when he was traveling to remind us he was still there. The other <laughs> was when he went to his father's house yeah. and nicked that sword. And now he's at the Citadel. I mean, that uh, that has progressed yeah. quickly, well, even yeah, though we I haven't mean, seen a lot of him. That This is one of the things I keep reading about the difference between the show and the books, is that in the show, they're, they're speeding up how long it takes to get places. And one of the reasons that the books have are taking so long is that you know, George Martin doesn't want it just to be, well, they left and then they got there and nothing happened in between. Everybody has these little adventures along the mm-hmm. way. And so in, instead, so on the show, 
well, sometimes it's a bit ridiculous, like Varus being in Dorne and then 10 minutes later being on the ship. That's a bit much. But, you know, you know, when the Greyjoys, they, you know, they had their, their journey and they left. They had, we have stopped, we saw them in Volantis that one time just to have a little check in with them and, and do a little character development. And the next time we see them, they're standing in front of Danny and Tyrion. And so there's, there isn't, you know, they didn't have to have like three or four adventures along the way. Same thing with, uh, with Sam. You know, we get that, we get that reminder that he's still existing. Like you said, we get the dinner with, um, Randall Tarley. And I'm sure that's gonna, and that's setting up some stuff, not the least of which is he took the sword. And then we, he gets to the, you know, there, there isn't, there doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be fighting enemies the whole way. You know, no. we're, 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 they're trying to, you know, streamline everything and get to the end of the story. Um, and so I think that does it for the episode. I think we covered just about everything. Um, well, let's let's look ahead a little bit to next season and what we expect from the show in season uh, in season season seven, which apparently only going to be seven episodes long. Seven episodes long. So it's, it's a bit of a shame. Uh, but you can bet that that means they'll just be pouring more money into those seven episodes to make them. Uh, the best so um where where do you where do you see we'll start with this where do you see the season picking up where do you think we start season seven mm, it's a very good question i think that we will go to king's landing first i think it's important to set up what is going to go down at king's landing because i i think that's going to be the vocal point of the season in my opinion, I don't think we're quite at the White Walkers yet. Yeah. And I know some people were talking about the fact, oh, well, you know, uh, we, we're going to surely have a White Walkers moment to end the season. And actually, the way it ended, I think it was pretty much right because it would be so shoehorned in to have a White Walker scene yeah. at this point. We haven't seen them since the halfway point of season six. How are they just going to arrive? So I think we're going to go to King's Landing first and maybe set up a bit of personal drama between Jamie and Cersei or um you know find out what Cersei yeah. wants now. What what do you think? Yeah, I think that I think that's a fair uh, I think that's a good assessment. I think that's definitely where we have to start it, it is with we have to deal with the ramifications of what happened in King's Landing, you know. You know, Cersei has never really cared about the people, but we we should get a sense of of what's going on and you know something that I read about uh is you know that that a lot of times it seems like we're being set up for there to be some sort of um rebellion some uprising from the people mm. and you know whether that was when they were throwing shit at Joffrey literally um and um or the high sparrow but it never quite happens and and perhaps when Danny arrives there will be that moment of okay now that uh, the people will be on her side. Mm, that's um, interesting, actually. So I think some groundwork needs to be laid for that as well. So I think that's the f- one of the first things. Well, that, you like can you argue said, some groundwork has already been no, laid for I, it because I, Cersei absolutely. has done the Walk of Atonement when everyone threw crap at her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we've got. So we. <laughs> but I think a, a little bit more will be will be yeah, done very very early on. And yeah, the Jamie Jamie Cersei relationship set up the tension there. Um, with with and then there there the other thing that I think that we'll have to deal with relatively early on is there are two more small villains out there. Randall Tarly and Euron Greyjoy. Yeah. And so I don't think Danny's going to King's Landing first. I think the first place she's going is the Iron Islands. And I think we'll see that well, will be... a bit of a distance, isn't it? Based I, on that map. <laughs> based on that, yeah, that's true. But I think that's one of the first things they're going to do is they're going to knock down... They're going to show their power 
They're going to mm. take down Euron Greyjoy. They're going to take back the Iron Isles, and that she's going to install Yara there so that they have a point of power, point of power to start. Yeah, because you, you need to get rid of Euron. You know, Euron. He, oh, had, I agree. he had a purpose this season to to spur up, to get the Greyjoy story going again, but he can't be around for very long. You got to get rid of him relatively early on. And so I, I you know, I, I'm not very, I, the map of Westeros, I'm not very well versed in it. I can't tell you if that strategically makes the most sense of how you would want to invade. But I, I feel like that would be a, 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 just purely from a story perspective, that would be a, a good yeah. place to start. I know, I can see that, but the only minor part of concern is that I'm looking at it on, on, a, on a geographical map. I think Dominic's now going to Yeah, I'm just, I'm just Googling Westeros. Oops, shoot. <laughs> I mean, West this, is, this, this is great Westeros spelling for a while. Map. <laughs> uh, all right, let's see. Let's go to this one. Yeah, here. this one here. All right. Look at uh, the image. Let's just see this. Zoom in a little bit. Uh... Hmm. There's Pike. Okay, here's Pike. Yeah. Um, that's on the the west side. That's the west side. King's Landing is over here. Over here. So if she's coming from the east, hmm. Yeah. It just seems a bit. And strategically, it's also, you've got the north there. Yeah. Strategically, got... it would. I guess strategically, it would probably make the most sense to come in from the north, maybe. Although the only interesting thing is that we're looking at this map here. What's just down south of it? Oh, Casterly Rock. Well, well yeah, that'd be well, an interesting because yeah. we've never been to Casterly Rock yeah. yet, and that could be a nice way to introduce that, and also really would bring Cersei out to think, "Oh my God, they're taking my homeland." Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and, and the um, you know, that was what Dario wanted to do, right? He wanted to, to let them take let take the second stun, second sons and take Casterly Rock just to so that the Lannisters had nowhere to go. So okay, so that's not really that doesn't make sense from a strategic point. I um, think what's more likely is they will meet Yoren somewhere, somewhere else. But I agree that he'll be one of the first villains to to fight against. Although, again, I I think it will show how quickly this story is progressing. But I mean, if we if he is even a formidable opponent to Danny, I will be very disappointed because he's had to pretty much build a fleet from scratch. Yeah. Well, this is again, this is the expediting thing. Yeah. <laughs> he needs a thousand and thousand ships so to actually a... warrant a challenge. But wouldn't it be interesting though to see then um, if Yoren tries to broker a deal with Cersei? Mm. Because, as you say, that's an interesting one. And if he does build those ships, he will actually offer an. an you would have something to trade. So I, I think the more, most likely thing was that he builds this ship whilst Danny is going to King's Landing. And, Cersei yeah. brokers a treaty and he brings his ships to King's Landing yeah. outside the bay. And then, boom, and you you've a got a big plan. fight. Yeah. And that will yeah. help then get rid of Yoren. That, so. makes, that, that makes the most sense. You're, you're right. Uh, uh, yeah. Strategically and story-wise, you've, yeah. you've cracked it. You've figured it <laughs> out. Um, and then the other one we have to get rid of very quickly, I think, is uh, Randall Tarly. Yes. So that's that's why I almost think that Sam will find out this truth about the White Walkers in like episode one, two, or three. Like in that first half of the season, he will figure it out and he will take Gilly and they will march off on their way. And then they will be stopped by Randall Tarley and yeah. Sam will. Um, I think Randall is going to kidnap Gilly and oh. the baby. Um, while Sam is oh, busy no. in the library. <laughs> I don't mean in that moment now while Giddy's well, been no, left but, out. No, but, no, but, that, but that would make sense, right? Because he just kind of leaves her Gilly, there. Because <laughs> Gilly can't get into the yeah. library. 
So where is he going to put it? I think that's going to happen. Draw Sam out. And then he's going to be like, give me the sword or I kill your wife and baby. Yeah. And then he's got a decision to make and then hopefully ends up killing Randall Tarly. But I'm in this in the spirit of, uh, of of Tyrion Lannister, he will he will end his awful father. Yeah, we hope so. But you tell you what is also interesting is that I, I, this is why I love Game of Thrones in a way is that we talked about the fact that when they got rid of Joffrey, we were like, who's going to be the new villain? And then we got Ramsay, who was even more <laughs> evil. And now Ramsay's gone. We're like, who's going to be the new villain? We've got it. Cersei. Yeah. After what she's done, she really she is. is the ultimate she's villain of the... Westeros, which is good because we needed somebody and, and, to, as a, as a, as a mm. gap between her, um, Ramsay and the White Walkers. Yeah. Yeah. You needed because, and you know, I mean, Ramsay was. Because Yorin is not going to be. Yeah. No. Well, no. And, and, and her story has been playing out since. Season one, episode one. Like mm. She's been so in so almost every, yeah. She's been in almost every episode. You know, I mean, Ramsey was a great villain. Don't get me wrong; he was sadistic, and and the actor was phenomenal in that part. But he was kind of he was never he wasn't a major player from from day one. He he kind of built himself up into mm. that position. Where a Cersei, lot of it thanks to his father. Yeah, a lot of it thanks to his father. Yeah, whereas Cersei, she has been not the villain, but a villain. From the beginning, and and now that her story has progressed the way it has, nothing is holding her back. She can be the ultimate villain of this story, and I think, yeah, it makes the makes it makes the most sense that she would be the last threat because she's the one that that has been building up this mm. whole time. She's the one that's got the crown, so she has the power, and she's the one who's got nothing left really because all of her children have been killed off. Which, yeah. as we all say, is one of the features that kind of humanized her. She hasn't got that anymore. She is just wholly set on, well, I mean, that's a good, good, big prediction really, isn't it? What is her next goal? She's got what she's wanted. She, I guess she's got to hold it together is the big problem. Yeah, that's that's it. I mean, she's got to hold it together. and, and Well, she, but, but she's both not practically gonna... and mentally. Yeah, exactly. And I uh, can't imagine things are going to go very well. Um, but yeah, and so then, uh, you know, just to look really far ahead, where do you see season seven ending? What is what is the end game for season seven? The end game, we alluded to it a little bit. It's going to be what goes down in King's Landing. I think we will finally have Danny on the throne for a bit. Um, I think that's how it's going to end. And I think it has to because we've really now got to focus on the White Walkers. And I think a lot of next season will be set up for the White Walkers. We've had that a couple of times in a couple of episodes. Yeah, I mean, but we, now we really need to see them act. You know, forget them when they, you know, attacked Bran or whatever. I mean, okay, it was important in a way, but we need to see them go to the war. That for me will be the second big end game: is that they will get past the war at the end of next season. Yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, I think next season there's going to be a lot of learning about the White Walkers, learning about what is actually driving them are they just evil for the sake of being evil mm. well and, we know, you know that obviously they were created yeah this. exactly and i think that needs to play into it somewhere somehow because they showed us that that's yeah. a, that they can't just be pure evil there yeah, has to there be there has to be something there and they when they showed us that that thing of the children of the forest creating the white walkers you know the the children of the forest they were never really anything to the characters in the story i mean they were they mm. defended brand but there there wasn't that like Oh my God! You betrayed us, kind of thing. You know, I, I almost feel like we'll, if when we if, 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 if pulling out the rug from under you, sort of thing. Um, and so there has to be some significance to that. And I think 
when when whatever Sam may find in the library, I think will connect to that somehow. So I think I don't ex I, I honestly don't expect to see much of the White Walkers next season. I almost expect them to be more of a just a looming threat. Mm. Like they but, are but there will be more focus on them. On them, yeah. On uh, a theoretical the, level. Yeah, exactly. I, I almost the way I look at it is almost as it's next season will be the White Walkers role next season will be the role that Voldemort had in the Half Blood Prince. Where there's a lot of talking about him, there's a lot of alluding to him, but you don't actually see him in that story. And, you know, I mean, the climax, spoiler alert for an over 10-year-old book, um, you know, the climax of that is not, you know, some kind of showdown between Harry and, and, and Voldemort. It's, uh, it's, you know, Snape killing Dumbledore to save mm. Malfoy, you know, in a way. Jamie killing Cersei to save Arya, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it kind of works out that way where it's a much more personal, personal story. And I, the way I look at it is, you know, if, uh, you know, if the White Walker attacks are, you know, if we're still looking at the Harry Potter me metaphor, you know, the hard home or would it be maybe be the Order of the Phoenix fight there in the ministry, you know, something like that. And, you know, we were, it is kind of following a similar if it does, there are times where I look at it and sort of okay, this is a similar narrative progression of uh, to the Harry Potter books, but that's just based on based on how story works more than anything yeah. else. I mean, we could we could probably do that with everything. I mean, sure, certainly could do that with Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or any any of these things. So, what do you predict then for the the season like ending? The season did, ending. Do you think similar well, sentiments think, about King's Landing and the White Walkers? Yeah, I think this. this like I said, I think the equivalent to episode nine, so I guess episode six next season, will be Danny invading King's Landing. Although, if if they're not going to Pike first, and this is part of the reason I thought they might, yeah. would be just to, to, to delay it a little bit. Because otherwise, they're just going to be standing around on boats all season going, hey guys, what's going on? <laughs> um, but uh, Although they could go to Dragonstone. They could go to Dragonstone, yeah. And that would be interesting, obviously, in itself. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think uh, that's going to be crucial. I think the, the, the whole Arya thing will play out in, in that as well. And then that, that final episode for the season, we will I think we will see maybe see some White Walker action there, whether it, it, of them maybe just heading for the wall or, or something to allude to, to set up next season. Um, and w the season will come to a close, will come to a climax. Not even necessarily with Danny sitting on the Iron Throne, but will be the meeting between John and Danny. To, mm. to to um, you know, the reuniting of the Targaryens <laughs> to, uh, to to figure out. What so does that mean do. then? You think John will go down south? More likely, I think it means which would be interesting, seeing as he spent his whole time up north, and you have to mm -hmm. then go south, and then obviously when the White Walkers come, everyone goes up north. Yeah, well, I think more likely she would go north because it's a lot easier to fly there on a dragon. <laughs> then then you can you can get there pretty fast. Although, you know, if 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 they were to hear about the dragon queen they may want they may to want down. to send john down and and maybe that could play into setting up sansa as the queen in the north you know she yeah. would be the leader there and john having targaryen blood would be the one to go and meet danny and say hey we're related i got a problem <laughs> can you come help me maybe i could ride one of your dragons too that would yeah. be fun but what all i hope what I hope doesn't happen, though, is that eventually we get to a point where we're going to have an episode of them going down and we spend another episode or two episodes of John trying to convince Danny to go up. I mean, uh, you know, having that the same old scene of going up to a reluctant leader who's just, you know, taken over this stronghold and they're like, 
nope, I'm staying put, I'm not going anywhere, and it'll be like the Marine storyline all over again, and we don't want that now, do we? No. And and actually thinking about it, that... Which is probably maybe a yeah. blessing in this, I hate to say it, but a minor, minor blessing in disguise for not having as many episodes is that yeah. it's unlikely to draw, draw out anything. like the Marine yeah. stuff. Well, maybe maybe actually the King's Landing stuff will happen earlier than we it think, and, and yeah. so then we can have a little bit more of, you know, John going down and, and then meeting her and... Well, that would be a twist, wouldn't it, if they had it halfway in the season mm-hmm. yeah. rather than the end. Exactly. And then maybe there would be like a first battle with the White Walkers or another hard home incident mm. type thing to close out the season to really remind you of, you know, this is the threat that we're facing going into the final yeah. season. So it, it, it should be interesting. It, well, it will be. It will be great. It's going to be a long wait. <laughs> it's going to be a long wait until next season. Um, but it's great because it means that the, the fights will just get bigger and better and the drama will get bigger and better and be far more intense. I think that's why I think um, the Battle of the Bastards was so successful is that the stakes were so high. There were more characters that we cared about in that fight. Well, King's Landing... Yeah. so many characters in there that we're going to care about and we're going to more than likely have at least one character from each house there yeah. whether that be Arya Jamie and Cersei Elena the Sand Snakes T- Danny, Theon and Yara. also a minor <laughs> thing to think about as well which I kind of just thought about now Tyrion and Cersei this whole thing yeah. as well, well I mean that would be good to get him thrown in well Tyr- not literally <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> well Tyrion and Jamie too yeah. I mean, you know, Tyrion I sure would have to. About that. Yeah, Tyrion going back to um, King's Landing. I mean, that's the other thing, you know, where Danny is, is feeling anxious about, you know, finally fulfilling this thing that she has talked about wanting to do forever. Tyrion is going back to a place where he experienced almost nothing but pain. And he's going back to meet people. He's going to have to come face to face with people who he very very much cut ties with when he shot their father. Mm. Um, so, you know, Cersei always hated him. She probably still blames him for Joffrey's murder. So he's, he's, you know, she, she, she would not want to see him. And, and didn't Jamie say the next time he sees him, he's going to kill him because mm. he killed Tywin. Not that Jamie and Tywin ever were really like, they weren't close. Well, they Cersei weren't like and this. Tywin never were. Either, yeah. But either way, we'll have to wait and see on that. But, should we bring it to an end there and give our final thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, that seems like a good idea. So that will do it for this episode. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. This has been so much fun. It's been so such a such a nice change of pace to record an episode together. Like we should. This, this is how this is how it should be done. <laughs> this is how uh, podcasting should be done. But it's it's been a blast. Uh, before we go, uh, obviously we didn't do this last week because we were just doing quick thoughts. Uh, but final thoughts and score out of ten on the winds of winter. I'll throw it over to you, Karen. So I alluded to it last time. This has got to be a ten out of ten. What an episode this was. The winds of winter. Um, you know, it was coming off one of the best episodes ever on Game of Thrones with the Battle of the Bastards, and yet it managed to, in some ways, surmount it, I think, yeah. particularly when you're looking at the, the drama side and looking at the the development of the character story arcs, and we really are coming to a bit of an endgame for some storylines, particularly, I think, with King's Landing, and we spent a good deal of time talking about 
what we think the ramifications will be for King's Landing, but, you know, they sped things up a lot, and you can see why this episode was the longest episode ever on Game of Thrones, and all I will say is, if they're only going to be doing six or seven episodes in the next two seasons, then please make them as long as this one, yeah. and don't make them 49 minutes, but we will we'll have to wait and see on that front. Watch when we get the... Um the timestamp for the first episode. 49? Oh, come on! Yeah, exactly. 48 minutes? It's the shortest episode ever. It's like a 22 minutes, like a sitcom. <laughs> that's it. That, that's how they're going to play it. Oh, Maybe man. they'll only give us like half an hour segments <laughs> each week instead just to draw it out longer. Um, but we'll have to wait and see on that front. I, I think, as I said, so many good storylines here. Really, my the, the, the storyline that I found most interesting, and it's not going to be a surprise, is still the King's Landing stuff, oh. I think the blowing up of the Scepter Baylor, although a lot of us predicted it, to actually see it executed as well, it as, well as it was done, um, was a bit of a surprise, and the way in which it was conducted was very, very unique, I think, in terms of storytelling. So yeah, 10 out of 10, and a big shout out as well, I think, to the score of this episode. Oh, yeah. I can't pronounce the person's Ramin. name, sadly. We'll just call him by his first name, Ramin. Ramin. Exactly, Ramin. that's the best way to do it. Um, but he, his soundtrack, sorry, his album, so to speak, of Game of Thrones Season 6 was released two days prior to the episode airing, and it was just phenomenal. And most of the tracks, I think at least half of those tracks, were uh, conducted in the season finale. So take a listen to that, particularly, as I said, the Light of the Seven track, probably the best that I've heard in a long, long time. Over to you, Dominic, though. Final thoughts and score out of 10. Yeah, well, I have to echo you. It's a, it's a 10 out of 10. I just, uh, you know, I think these two episodes are, you know, Battle of the Bastards and The Winds of Winter. That's the strongest finale and penultimate episode that we've ever gotten, I think, mm. from this show. It, even even including Red Wedding, it, which well, is saying well, something, because yeah, Red Wedding I mean, was... the Red Wedding, you know, was probably the best penultimate episode, but the for the finale of Season 3, nothing against the finale of Season 3, but... It's nothing compared to this. You know, this was just incredible. I, I can't say enough of uh, enough good things about it. I loved. Uh, I love that we we went back to the Tower of Joy. I love that we got that. Um, I do think it's interesting though that they that they didn't reveal the father. That they didn't say that it's Rhaegar. Of course, it wound up on like an HBO blog. <laughs> that, that's who the father was. Uh, but, you know, one of our listeners, um, I was talking to one of our listeners, Patrick, after the episode aired, and he, or a couple of days after the episode aired, and he's like, yeah, at work, people were like, who's the, who's the father? And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's I guess that's the difference between uh, those of us that would, the people that, that love the show, that just love the show, and the people that would listen to a, a podcast about it. Um, and not, I don't mean to be elitist at all there. Um I'm just the one that should have been King of the North on the tour. Um, no, it was it, it, just a strong episode. The King's Landing stuff was amazing. I uh, really enjoyed ev just I really enjoyed everything about this episode. I can't think of any scene. Even Dorn was so much fun. Uh, so yeah, ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Uh, so that'll do it for this season for us. Uh, not to worry. It is not our intention for the show to go on hiatus for eight months again. Uh, we will, uh, we'll, we'll have some, some fun stuff in, in between, uh, 
in between to keep uh, keep the discussion going about Game of Thrones. Um, we probably won't have another episode for a couple of weeks just because I'm still traveling, but we'll, I think maybe a, a post-Comic-Con episode would be a good idea. I think a good one, a uh, post-Comic-Con, would be, would be very, very, very relevant is obviously to see what they tell us at Comic-Con, but yeah. also doing perhaps a review of Season 6 season as a whole. as a whole, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, but <laughs> buck yourselves in for a long episode there. Yeah. But... <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so keep your eyes open for that, and then we'll have more stuff in the in the fall. With, uh, you know, maybe we can do some episode commentaries, or uh, maybe continue you know that insane look back that we started way back uh, way back then, uh, doing five episodes <laughs> in a show. Uh, so yeah, keep your eyes open for that. Uh, make sure to like the Facebook page, uh, the Watchers of Westeros, uh, so that you don't miss an episode, and uh, keep, keep, uh, be subscribed on iTunes. Uh, search for the Watchers of Westeros, a Game of Thrones podcast, or just Watchers of Westeros. You should be able to find it. Um, and you can follow us personally on social media. I'm at DominicJ25. Kieran is at CDuggan6, and the show is at Watcher Westeros on Twitter. Uh, that'll do it. And uh, oh, also, of course, make sure to tune into. Uh, um, my other podcast, Star Wars Underworld Podcast. Uh, I will not be on this week, but Kieran will be, so I definitely want to check that out. Um, like because I'm, I'm traveling, I, w- I won't be able to be a part of the episode. I'll be in London at that point, getting ready for a Star Wars Celebration. Um, and of course, we'll have lots of great content coming out of Star Wars Celebration. I might pop into that episode for a little bit. You never know. Um, yeah, it'll be a great show, so definitely check that out. StarWarsUnderworld.com and on iTunes for all of that. And I think... That does it. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk Comic-Con, to talk Season 6, and uh, we'll be back throughout the... We won't be going away this time. We won't be going away this time. That is the the plan. Uh, So thank you all for listening, and so long for now.